This episode is brought to you by Podomatic, the easiest way for podcast fans to become podcasters. Go to podomatic.com or search Podomatic in your app store to start your own podcast for free and find your audience. Hello and welcome to episode number 374 of the Super Horror Bros podcast. I'm your host Matt and joining me as always is my brother Mike. Hello. How's it going? We finally got here. Yes, we've finally been able to record. There's been a lot of havoc this month, a very busy month for us. Um, so we're recording this, the latest we've ever recorded, one of these specials. Um, and yeah, this will this actually go up on New Year's Day. So um, yeah. Happy New Year to everyone listening. Um, and uh, yeah, we're finally here to discuss the year that was 2023, which I suppose it is fitting that we are recording this on one of the final days of the year. So we can finally look back on it and see what was it like for horror um, across film and TV. You know, it's been a, been a very interesting one. Um, it is indeed. And yeah, we'll obviously... Some- yeah, we'll be talking about our top 10, won't we, as our main event, as always. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah our top 10 films of the year and then we'll go over our individual awards for the year as well across all the the different categories um and also there will be a big announcement at the end of the show so uh stay tuned for that as well um but yeah i mean the little precursor we normally have for our top 10 a little some would you like some stats from this year i'd love some yeah. stats. that's what i've been waiting for for like three or four weeks is some stats and uh, yeah. we're finally here it's always interesting because um I didn't expect a lot of these things. Like this first one is um, expected because we saw less films this year than we did last year. Um, so we we covered thirty six new films this year um, compared to forty nine last year. Um, but there is a main reason for that, which we'll get to in this short little breakdown, which I'm sure you've already figured out. Um, but next up would be the cinema releases, which again we saw fourteen movies at the cinema um, for the podcast, yeah. which yeah. Which, like, Jeez. doesn't seem right at all, um, no. because it feels like we've watched about one in the last, like, five months. Um, but, mm. yeah, we must have saw a lot in the first half, and particularly the middle of the year. Um, I was going to say, apart from Thanksgiving, like, what did we see? We had like, Saw and Exorcist. Yeah, um, that's what I mean, like, post-Halloween, it's crazy. Yeah, really not much. Um but yeah, we had a lot earlier on. But yeah, so 14, but compared to last year, um, which was 26, however, that does include um, seeing 12 films at Fright Fest. So obviously, if you take that away, it's the exact same number of cinema releases that we saw. Um, and yeah, that's where obviously the big drop off is. We didn't do Fright Fest this year. We covered 13 less films. We covered 12 films at Fright Fest. So it's basically one less if you don't want to include Fright Fest. Um, which again is shocking to me because we have taken weeks off this year more so than ever before. Mm. Um, so the fact that we were still that consistent does surprise me. Um, and also the fact that I can't believe Fright Fest was only last year. Um, it just feels like ages since we were there. It really, but yeah, yeah, it was only 2022. Um, but yeah, feels like a very long time ago. Um, next up, the weird one, as always, which much like our awards, which we'll get to at the end, where we're just stubborn and we decide to never change them. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the categories is Netflix films, um, which 
we should really just be like because we should have shudder and all the different ones but um we cut co- we only covered one netflix film this year which is kind of again oh. surprising i think it was that bird box wasn't it the sequel um so that's the- it's got to be our lowest ever for netflix i mean other than tv yeah. but yeah yeah one like it's crazy we saw three last year and it's usually between sort of three and five on netflix um so yeah very very slow year for them for horror for films um next up is just the next the the next always the highest one which is just all other digital platforms or blu-rays or you know anything that's not netflix or cinema basically um which was 21 um compared to 20 last year so again pretty much the same um tv show specials um was four um which again exactly the same as last year for tv specials um what did we do we did obviously did house of usher we did two on uh, black mirror and we did creep show um so yeah pretty much consistent and then the last one is just the amount of shows which we did do 51 shows last year um compared to 45 this year so um yeah that's where you can see that we obviously have missed a few weeks this year compared to our usually hitting around 50 shows um this is yeah, I mean, we were always round about the 50s, though. I mean, like, this, mm. this has definitely been the year that we've been the most ill. Like, yes. <laughs> yeah. Like, most of December we've been struggling, but even prior to that, there's been multiple weeks. Like, we we very rarely in prior years have missed a show due to illness. We may have yeah. been delayed it a little bit, but, like, there's been multiple shows where we've been wiped out for over a week and had to just delay the entire show. Yeah, it's crazy the amount of times that we both had to just not do it because we literally don't have a voice or the amount of shows um we did where like i just didn't have a voice mm. <laughs> for multiple weeks i can't remember was that last year i think where i had like a three-month spell where i just didn't have a voice that was fun um yeah, but uh yeah so that's that's always good um and then yeah lastly the kind of specials like anything that's not included in that um the only thing obviously included in this show the best of um was our wes craven um so we did five of those last year and we did four this year um and obviously we finished it uh this year so um nice to finally get that finished after starting it in 2020 um but yeah that is it for the old statistics um shall we uh shall we go into our top 10 let's do it So yeah, obviously uh, our big top 10 of the year, of the films that we've covered. Um, we do have a few honourable mentions. Um, I don't know how many you would like to discuss, but there's there's definitely one that I would like to give a, just a shout out to. Um, a movie I really enjoyed, uh, which was Missing. Um, obviously the kind of second movie, the follow-up to Searching. Um, big fan of these both films, really. Um, particularly this, this genre of screen life I'm always a big fan of. And I really do think that both of those films are some of the best we've seen in in that subgenre so far. Um, really surprised. I remember seeing the trailer and I was like, this doesn't grab me at all. Um, and then just sitting down and it just, there's so many fun twists and turns. Like it was such a fun thrill ride of a film um, that may not have had the kind of the writing quality of the first film and the, just the overall strength, but it was just fun um, to see that many twists and turns in a, in a screen life movie. Cause I think sometimes you are hampered by being stuck to a screen and they did so many clever reinventions so i i have so much confidence that there's more in this genre and i would love to see a a third entry in this in this kind of franchise as it were um so yeah i was a big fan of missing 
Um, yeah, any, any, great. Yeah. Um, any others you'd like to discuss? Yeah, I mean, one that we saw recently, which was Hell House um, mm. Origins, kind of, um, you know, I, I, I really think the Hell House franchise as a whole is just an incredibly strong modern day straight to digital franchise that Shudder has kind of mopped up and, and has continued to make really good entries. And this one, was this the fourth entry? I yeah. think um, was really solid entry, had some really good scares, some really good just building of atmosphere. Um, like we said before, crazy building of the lore of Hell House as well. And kind of sets up like more sequels, um, which I would be down for. I think uh, every one of these Hell House movies is strong. And, and this being the fourth entry, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily say start here. I think, you know, you, you watch them all. But but certainly you could watch this as a standalone and start for a really good time. And it was just a really good, fun movie yeah it was really cool and like that's just a franchise that just continues to impress um that is one of those real standouts for shudder like we said at the time they've just built such a great core group of ip now that i associate with shudder um and hell house is definitely one of them um another movie i just i want to give a quick shout out to because i remember it was candyland um because again not an amazing in film but what i really loved about this film and it is actually one of the reasons why another film which i just thought was better did make our list um was just the vibe of it it had such a cool vibe like that place that kind of truck stop with these group of characters to me really felt like a lived in place and even though it wasn't particularly spectacular with its story and when it got into like the actual characters and reveals and and some of its religious tropes it definitely lost me but just like the vibe of that place it felt so real to me Um, it felt so real and so dirty didn't mm -hmm. it i think you know i think candy candyland is a movie that stuck with me more than most this year you know it's just this feeling of uncomfortableness and dirtiness and like you say this location and um you know there are movies that are in our top 10 that i still have to like look up and go mm-hmm. oh yeah okay yeah i remember that now whereas Candyland is just vivid instantly you say the name and it's vivid and i think that's the the strongest kind of phrase i can give it really yeah it has one of the like a tangible quality that it is doesn't necessarily get represented well when you're doing a long form review when you're discussing mm. character and story and all that stuff but it is just like the feeling if it was something that i had watched not for the show and just walked away from it i'd have been like oh i loved that you know that was a really cool vibe um so yeah definitely deserving of a shout out for sure and a very underrated movie as well um yeah and i guess the only other one is um evil dead rise because i think that movie came out and kind of it, it is in a you know it's in a franchise that's just incredibly strong and near and dear to our hearts um you know we love we love the Raimi trilogy. We love the remake. We love the TV show. So, you know, when this came out, it was like, okay, this is not as good as the others. And I feel like that's why it's kind of been forgotten about by us. But I still think it's a solid movie. And, it, you know, if this was in a, a franchise that we didn't love as much, I feel like we'd probably love this movie more. Mm. Um, because ultimately, it's it's definitely the worst Evil Dead movie. But it's still like, you know, the worst Evil Dead movie is still better than a lot of other horror movies out there. And yeah, this, this still had some really good moments for sure. Yes, Rise is such a weird one for me. Like, it's a movie that I wish I really liked. Um, mm. And I think on the face of it, there isn't many things inherently massively wrong with it. 
but like i don't when i think about evil dead which i adore i think about four very different films and an amazing tv show and and then i go oh yeah there's another one and and it's and it's just weird to me i just don't know why it just doesn't feel remotely like evil dead like say if this was a movie just called rise I would have enjoyed it a hell of a lot more. Um, so it's a weird one for me. I'll, yeah. I'll maybe rewatch it at some point, but I'm certainly not in a rush to. Um, yeah, I kind of want to. Yeah, I think it's on UK Netflix. I could have sworn I saw it on there. Um, at some point. Yeah, it's definitely somewhere. Yeah, there's been some weird. So they got like talk to me. I think really quickly as well. Like, um, so they've had they've been pretty good in terms of getting like big horror films on there. Um, but yeah, our, our top ten starts. Uh, do you want to do you want to kick us off with number ten? Go for it. Um, so yeah, this one kind of was, was one that we just watched a little bit on a whim kind of, mm. you know, was, had, had a little bit of excitement for it, but not much expectations. And it just kind of delivered on its promise more than anything. And and that was sick. Um, you know, written by Kevin Williamson. That was kind of the main reason why we got in there and kind of, um, the movie just opened, it told us what it was going to do, and then it just delivered on that. It just delivered on this really fun home invasion movie set kind of during the the, the COVID pandemic. Um, it, it had some really good tropes. It had some fun play on, on the... I, I don't really like to use the whole kind of like fun play on COVID because it still feels too real. Mm-hmm. But at this point, when we are this far removed from it, you know, you can kind of laugh at these tropes a little bit and, and the, the crazy world we're in. And having a home invasion movie set during like the pandemic is just perfect for me. Um <clears throat> You know, when you're not allowed to leave the house, you're not allowed to have people come and help you um, and someone's come to your home to attack you. I think they did, um, you know, some really good scream kind of tension scenes when we got to kind of the point that we had the kind of um, the hunters and the hunted kind of in the house. We still we still had some really good fun cat and mouse and backwards and forwards because probably like 40 minutes into this movie, I thought it's dealt all its cards. It's kind of, you know, revealed what it's now all about and how's it got another like 40 minutes, 50 minutes left, but it really did deliver all the way to the end and and was a really fun movie. Yeah. I really like sick a lot. I remember being excited for it. Um, when we found it being like, Oh, Kevin Williamson wrote this COVID set slasher home invasion film that, um, no one's talking about. And it's one of those ones that I always hoped it would be good um and i really like this film a lot again it's really fun which was the thing that really stuck to me i stuck with me um that middle part of the film that is just the cat and mouse chases was so strong like i think that's the kind of thing that he writes so brilliantly and so flawlessly and so effortlessly is just really fun on-screen cat and mouse between a a killer and a victim and his spatial awareness he you know taking a singular location in a house and using every single part of that you know almost in like a don't breathe aspect where you're seeing different areas different rooms used in different ways then okay now we're going outside for a little bit oh there's like this other little small area surrounding the house okay now we're getting a car involved okay (laughs) yeah like how do we eliminate the threat of the car now okay that was a cool little game that kind of filled 10 minutes now we're back in the house again now we're grounded again like it just did the fundamentals really really well this um, one had one of my favorites i think as well where the car's tires got slashed but they still tried to drive it yes that, yeah something we like, talk about oh, all the time yeah. yeah yeah and and it, it didn't work 
yeah that was a eureka moment of like mm. oh thank god you know it's that classic like scary movie why do they run up the stairs and that and it is that thing of like why don't they do this and they finally showed us that um which was brilliant so it, again oh, like, that's what would happen to me in all these horror movies <laughs> yeah like obviously he's just he's just the best i think at that of course like his pedigree proves that um the COVID angle was a really interesting setup to get you in the film. And I think that ultimately it will be very Marmite how it's used in this film. Um, like people are going to absolutely love it or hate it. I think because in particularly when you get to final act and, and character reveals and motivations and, and, and why COVID plays oh, a part God, in yeah. that. Yeah. Like it's, I remember liking it at the time, but I also think if someone said it was like ridiculously cringy, I wouldn't be able to defend it. I'd be like, yeah, it, it is pretty cringy, but like I was in it. Absolutely cringy, but it worked for me. Yeah, like yeah. I was just in it, and I'm not, I'm not, I don't take these movies seriously. Like I don't need a, I've never had like a scream revelation at the end be like this. It stunned me to my very core how unbelievably realistic and grounded it was. You know, if it's just like, yeah, you fucked over my family, like that's that's fine, as long as it's a cool character portraying it. So like that was enough for me. Um, so yeah, and, it, and I remember dad lost everything. Yeah, and I remember the final kills as well. Really, it. it not, not like saved it because it wasn't a tragedy but it was an awesome film we had like some potentially cringe reveals and it was like okay what do you do now and i remember that last 10 minutes was like awesome like it was such a cool way for the for the movie to conclude with the kind of final you know that's like a really hard thing to pull off when again when you think about scream you always go back to that original film um yeah. and how effective it was with the her getting the mask on and her calling the killers and all of these and then gail suddenly back and all that whereas i think all of the other screen movies have failed to deliver that in terms of you know a really exciting post you know who the killers are what is that next big scene and i think yeah, six well, did a really yeah exactly and potentially another movie which we yet to discuss but like scream uh, sick i think did that like i think it had a really fun payoff once the killers were unmasked which i think is very yeah. rare in these types of films um yeah definitely. so yeah very worthy movie and again very underrated movie i think there's a few movies in yeah. our top 10 which i think are very underrated um but next up is a franchise that we've talked about uh, quite a lot um which was the latest entry in the vhs franchise um vhs 85 um so yeah kind of what the third of these um since it's come back i think last year's one didn't make our top 10 but the other one did um yeah. and i think in my mind that feels right this feels like a more of a return to form again i liked last year's entry um but i think pound for pound this might have been the best one um very difficult because i genuinely think all three are, are good you know real great yeah. you know vhs films that have really good standouts segments and a couple of of ones that miss you know this one had like the the report or one that we necessarily didn't vibe with but then it had like for the first the one time ever, yeah that one was great yeah <laughs> where you had to learn spanish um yeah. No, but, the, yeah but the the you know finally doing again this is the sixth entry and they did something that we didn't necessarily see coming, which was have two segments tied together in a really refreshing way. And they had a completely different vibe um, and they delivered different things, but they connected storyline wise. And I think that was awesome. So that was really strong for me. And I thought that the, the overall 80s theme, the wraparound was really cool. This was a great film and, and I'm so happy they're continuing this. I think VHS has so much to give. It is one of, I think the most dynamic franchises, obviously when you're dealing with something that is, um, 
of this nature where you can have different storylines each time that helps you don't have a canon you're not tied to a legacy or anything like that you just need to bring in cool filmmakers with great short ideas um and that's what they did here like that you know the first half particularly of that detective story with the kind of the, the dreams and the killing in the dreams like we talked about how um that could have easily been a, a feature-length film if they had kind of tightened up some of that stuff because they definitely rushed all of the conclusions um but overall man i loved vhs like i need to go back and watch these because i don't think i've rewatched any of them um as is the way that we kind of keep moving um but i would love to i think it's i'm not overdue like i rewatched the original trilogy prior to this coming back and i think i'm at a point now where i definitely want to rewatch these because i'm forgetting so many cool segments um but this was a great film i think that's the thing with it it's it was just a really solid entry where it was a lot of fun segments the the double kind of feature was was the standout for sure um i think um there was one segment where they forgot to go fan footage altogether for about five minutes. Which was, was yeah, that was the dream one. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think like when we reviewed it, we said that like, it just feels so VHS. It's so, you know, grimy and very, very kind of just raw. And, and, and so you kind of forgive it for all of these things because you don't want it to be this polished product. You want it to be this, chaotic kind of 20 minute segment going into another chaotic 20 minute segment i don't want like you know this this crazy fleshed out you know just just a smooth thing i want it to be this way and i think that's what it should be for this platform for filmmakers just to say yeah just go mad and like you know just give us a product and it doesn't need to be crazy finished it just needs to be you know vhs worthy which shouldn't you know that's not like a negative i think that should be a positive that this just has it has its own you know barrier to kind of you know entry and i and i really enjoy that and and yeah i think this segment was or sorry this 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 um entry was was really solid um i don't think it has like the the incredible standouts like perhaps some of the previous entries mm-hmm. but i also don't think it has some of the lows as well yeah um you know this one was more of just a baseline fairly solid from from what i remember of it um e- even when i had to learn spanish so yeah you know <laughs> i think um you know a really solid movie and, and and why it made it to our top 10 yeah for sure um but yeah next up is a movie that um as soon as i saw the runtime for this i thought like i'm not going to enjoy yeah um and going into it like we seeing the trailer the trailer looked really good and it was a case of okay this this looks like a really cool like revenge movie kind of taken-esque um this is god is a bullet and um yeah kind of that's what it kind of looked like from the trailer and and very early on it it just has its own visual style, you know, and, and character driven and all the characters visually just uh, have got such a distinct look. And, and I think kind of what we spoke about a lot was obviously um, Mika Monroe and her performance was standout in this movie. It was incredible, but also just the way she looked, you know, just so different to the way we've seen her before, just covered in these tattoos and the way that kind of tattoo culture was kind of brought into this movie and kind of, you know, very prevalent with um, Bob. And, <laughs> and it's funny because Bob kind of, the name just stands out to me. And when we reviewed it, it's, it's because he's such a it's Bob. all coming back to me now that you've said, it. I'm like, oh, Bob. Bob, God. Oh, Bob. Because he is, 
he's the worst lead character in a movie in our top ten, probably. <laughs> but he's meant he's meant to be. Yeah. And Bob, he is just going along for the ride, and he's trying to just save his daughter. And and it's Mika that that is really kind of you know carrying the movie performance. Not like it wasn't a bad performance from him. He 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 played Bob. You know, Bob yeah. was Bob. Bob was there as to be a pacifist to to give Mika the 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 opportunity to to shine, which is exactly what happened. Um, and, you know, this movie has some really dark turns, some really dark moments, some some really over the top action, kind of John Wick style action sequences as well, and was just a really fun movie that that probably was a bit too long, but ultimately, yeah. you know. Um, for a movie to be that long and it didn't just drive me insane just shows how strong this was. And I think it was visually how this movie looked and, and, and how the characters looked. Yeah, for sure. For me, um, this movie, God is a bullet, um, which is probably my favorite title for a film all year, um, was the movie I was referencing earlier talking about Candyland Mm. and how just the overall vibe I got from the film when I think about it now is so strong and it's definitely stronger than probably when we'd, reviewed it um because you have to talk about that runtime which is crazy um and i think it it is it shows how great the film is because i think this could have been way higher i think this movie at its at its best is way better than an eighth placed film um but it's runtime and it's certain subplots and um certain missed opportunities like i remember jamie fox's character being a pretty big missed opportunity for me um again like visually he looked so cool and interesting and he just didn't really add much to the to the party um but there is so much to love about this like I say the overall vibe the kind of dealing with this motorcycle gang meets religious cult um with with all this tattoo stuff thrown in was just such a cool the, the setting and everything just worked for me um uh, and i think every version of this movie makes our top five <laughs> i think easily yeah like because th- the kills are phenomenal like I say the uh, this has a great just visual style to the film it, you, you know you watch the trailer and it looks cool this is a cool ass looking film um and i think that it's filled with loud extroverted characters aside from bob um which is what's so interesting that he is this kind of shy um inward feeling character that is super interesting especially the actor you know from game of thrones i was really expecting more of a pow in your face kind of guy um especially because he does fulfill almost like a john wick type character at times with the action um but he just never feels like that he never feels like the big leading man because he is the smallest character in the film you know there are side villains that feel huge in terms of these big loud performances that guy the the hilarious guy who's kind of in the nightclub and stuff let alone like the the main villain and, and micah who i think are two huge personalities and kind of their relationship is what really drives the whole film this kind of twisted messed up relationship and her getting away and then trying to save other girls for making the same mistakes that she did like it's it's such a cool film and i think her performance is what really elevated it um said it on the review at the time and i'll say it again i think that she has been in better films um i think it follows and villains are overall better films but for me it's my favorite performance she's ever given um i thought she was outstanding and again when you have a long runtime that probably helps with that you get to see more of her so she can dive deeper into the character have better longer monologues etc 
um but she's just outstanding i mean she i've never seen her put in a bad performance um and i've seen her in bad films as well um and it gets me really excited for that it follows sequel because i think she's just grown so much oh, as an yeah, actress I about that. It's gonna be so yeah good. um i think um as well this movie has an incredibly strong opening scene mm. kind of you know visually with the with the song and everything else like with the kidnapping like i i was like man this movie's got got like it got off to such a stronger start more than i expected it to mm. and then it kind of cuts to the what was it the the parents or whoever the, the people in kind of the, the house with the swimming pool and stuff and the, the the home invasion yeah um and all of that stuff was was really well done as well and again had another really good soundtrack playing over the top of it and i was like holy shit is this movie just gonna be like bang 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 and then it then it did slow down and got going at a more even pace but yeah the opening was insane yeah i'm, I'm glad you mentioned the soundtrack as well because that reminds me now like i love the soundtrack to this movie like it was mm. so cool and again just give it it gave it such a distinct style this is a movie that is that stands out you know we saw a lot of films this year um and i still think about god as a bullet even though i think if i sat down and rewatched it there'd be parts i remembered certain subplots with characters and, and feeling that runtime but now just looking back on it i only remember the positives um and there were so many so yeah i i, I really really liked this film a lot um but yeah moving on to number seven um probably one of the biggest surprises for us really pretty shocking Ooh. that a a possession movie can can make a top 10 and and be a you know considerably high place in number seven um which is talk to me um but i think it was so deserved you know i at this point, I think I genuinely hate this subgenre. Like, it's gone from, like, oh, yeah, I'm not really into it, to, like, I think I actively hate it now. Um, I think you do. Like, I hate what it's become. I hate that so much of horror is that. Um, I hate that it's rewarded as well. Like, I think when you look at movies that we that we cho chose to not even cover this year, like The Nun 2 and stuff, that there's, there's such a yeah, huge... Yeah, like... Like the casual audience for this stuff is monumental and there's a reason why we're not going to see we're going to see less of last night in soho and more of the nun too and like that just bums me out so much um is like interesting ideas in horror you know even something like malignant as well like it's just it's 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 it sucks and so getting to something like talk to me i'm actively against it like i don't want to mm. like it and it's it was brilliant. It was such a ref um, a breath of fresh air in a like I say a subgenre that I detest. And we saw you know one of the worst ones I think in Exorcist this year. And seeing Talk to Me come out this year of all years, I mean, it really was. I it, it had to come out now. I was thinking about it where you know we were a lot softer on these, and I think when we were seeing stuff like The Conjuring Two, which is still by far my favorite of these films, so nothing compares to that. But I was just softer on it overall. And we were seeing more of the kind of the, the Conjuring spin-off movies and stuff like that. Um, but I, I think Talk to Me had to come out now. It had to come out in an environment where we saw Insidious 5 or whatever it was, that shite film. And yeah. we, it needed to be a reaction to that. It, it's very self-aware, I think, that the, the, the subgenre is what it is in 2023. I don't think it's like ignorant to what's happening around it. I think it speaks to that and says this is what the subgenre is it can be something different it's just that people aren't making original shit anymore and so they're like but but it can happen and so to bring it to a a younger more teen focused audience bringing in kind of social media trends peer pressure 
um kids doing stupid shit all the time i think it really just brings all that so well together like the the basic premise is ridiculous as well as like an old school that feels like a malignant style thing of just yeah it's this fucking hand yeah and then it possesses you and but you just do it as a funny drinking game to to film you and put it on tiktok for the clicks and laugh about it you know nothing nothing dangerous is ever going to happen it's only a few dodgy spirits every now and again like that that works because that is today's society like i fully believe that this is exactly how kids would react to to this if this was a real thing yeah if this hand existed 100 percent what happened in this movie is how it would go down. Yeah, hundred percent. I think, and I think that's the thing that I loved about it. Where you know, throw in a stupid element of this hand, but then it it, it feels so grounded because it's exactly what would happen. And it was just fun seeing it happen. It was almost as if, um, like this is this is too high praise, but it's it it's almost doing that what Scream did to the mm. um the slasher genre, yeah. Where it was so aware of the genre it was in and poked fun at it and then reinvented it and and it did it in a really fun way. I think, um, the violence that was in this movie was was it's it's weird saying i mean only in a horror podcast can you say the violence in this movie is welcome um <laughs> but it, but it was and and i think because so many slasher movies of uh, slasher um possession movies um shy away from from gore and actual horror and just it's it's all fart no poo and mm. and i really like the fact that this movie did deliver <laughs> and just went oh no we're gonna we're gonna like like the, the scene with the the brother like i mm. was not expecting to go that hard it was crazy and i think like the ending was a very hard ending as well mm. and um yeah it was just just a really solid movie and i think um in terms of like a cinema like possession movie like making our list in 2023 like it it did incredibly well it really oh, did I, I still can't believe it like i say we we'd seen i think the boogeyman and insidious like prior to it in a couple mm. of months before and, and we that, almost didn't see this because of that yeah and that, that was just the state of what it was you know that that was exactly what i was expecting just these very sterile movies you get a, a very boring setup usually with like a horrific incident happens to a family member and you know it's exactly what happened in both those awful films and and they're just full of dread and misery and it's like oh yeah this character gets haunted for a bit and then they overcome it and that's it and so for this to be so different i remember being like probably halfway through this film and thinking i still don't know what the main structure of this is like i get that it's this hand you know the the basic premise from the trailer but i don't know what this means for the story going forward i don't know who it's going to affect the most i don't know what's going to be the main thing they have to overcome and so to get to the finale and it still be so kind of on edge and again having that feeling of well, here's what the ending should be, but horror movies never have the good ending. They always pick the shit tap-out ending, and they did the good ending. They were like, no, this is what would happen, and we stay true to it. Um, and I think now that it, it did so well, when they're going to do a sequel, I really don't know what that entails. Um, but as a standalone film, it just worked so well. And also, going back to the um, the point I was making earlier about how it kind of really is such a good takedown or visualization of youth today this being from two young directors who come from a social media background these are obviously two australian youtubers who then decided to make a film um 
that's why this works this is people that know that shit you know this isn't like jaded people in a in a room writing about a generation they don't understand they're writing about themselves and so that's why this movie works for me like it's so genuine everything about it um so yeah talk to me is awesome i i really really like this film um yeah and i mean up next just narrowly missing out in our top five um at Mm. number six we've got um no one will save you Mm. um Talk about coming out of nowhere. Yeah. I mean, I mean, this, this movie we hadn't spoken about until we recorded our show for it. Um, it, it absolutely came out of nowhere and just, just had such a fantastic premise. It had a, it had a great kind of just tonally opening 20 minutes where we've got this lead character that, um, you know, I, I think, I think like she could be described as a mute. She's not a mute. She's, mm. she's, um, isolated. She's just completely on her own in this big farmhouse. And even when she visits the town, she is isolated and we don't know why no one talks to her. People avoid her and kind of, um, <clears throat> I was so enamored by her and the town and what was going on um all of that stuff and then suddenly we start to get to her starting to be invaded and having this home invasion at night and um i thought all of that was incredibly well done and again when you kind of you know how often do you watch a home invasion movie you're like oh i really wish it kind of speeds up a bit and this this just goes for it doesn't it Mm. yeah this movie's crazy like i couldn't Um, believe how enjoyable this was as an alien film i think uh, i don't you, you you rarely see alien films anyway, but then they try and be usually quite elevated. I think of a movie like Arrival that I love, but that's so talking about like what would really happen if you tried to talk about to this other race from a different planet and stuff. Whereas this is way more just what would happen if it was a fun ride that you were the or only even, person in your town. Yeah, and even like you know really great horror movies, and you think like Alien and and the sequels mm. like Prometheus. Where yeah. it's like we know what the fucking alien looks like at this point. Show us the alien, and it yeah. takes like an hour and a half to show it. Whereas, like instantly, she gets invaded, and you see the alien. You're like, oh, it's well, so you, cool. I'm like, you're being fucking invaded by an alien, love. And then, and then, like the rules of the alien was great. Like, what can it mm-hmm. do? Like, how violent is it? What abilities does it have? How do you kill it? And like, she kind of goes through that entire like chain almost in the first night yeah um but then the great thing about it is we then cut back to like her being um shunned by the town and her not being able to get help and i and i i fucking love that i love that she kind of escapes and gets to town and she's like i'm more screwed here than i was at home because at least at home i'm at home and and i love that so much and um yeah and i think pretty much from from start middle to end this movie was great i think it had it had a little bit of a slow moment in the kind of pre-finale kind of getting there it took a little bit long but then when it actually got to the finale i thought the payoff was fantastic the the final images of the movie i absolutely loved and and yeah i i, I thought this was was a stellar movie for sure 
yeah no one will save you just was such a delight you know th- this is the type of movie that i wish we had every week that was comes out of yeah. nowhere that has the kind of no long tail no baggage no anything it's just an original ip that just delivers you know from the moment it started and we had that initial again cat and mouse back and forth between uh you know our single character and an alien and you see the alien multiple times and they have this awesome back and forth and then she kills the alien and i'm like holy shit i'm like how is this that should have been you know especially talking about indie films that's like like second act or or, let's be honest a lot of them you'd have 75 minutes of bullshit and then the last 10 minutes would have been that and you'd have said well that last 10 minutes was pretty cool um you know but that the movie opens with that because it, it knows what it's got i think that's it's so confident in what it has and so it's just almost like cocky where it's like, yeah, we'll just give you something sick because we'll just wait. And and you have no idea really what's coming. You know, I really thought that would have been enough for me. And so the fact that they keep adding new layers, you know, it almost felt like a video game where you keep getting more variations of the enemy. And OK, this one has a new trick. So how am I going to defeat that? And you having to, to adapt in the different situations. You can't just rely on the same trick. Like when she kills that first alien, you could think, oh, well, she knows how to kill an alien now. But that's not going to work the next time. You know, and it was very circumstantial mm. to get that lucky as well. And that's what has to, ha- has to keep happening throughout the whole film for her to and overcome. Again, for like, for like an indie movie, the fact that we got all these like subspecies mm. of the alien as well was, was just insane. Yeah, this, this movie is like so much better than it should be. Like I think when you think about it it's like oh yeah it's a small indie film and it and you know it barely has any dialogue and it's about aliens you're very much expecting a certain type of smaller contained film and this is like almost like a cloverfield like it doesn't go that insane but it, it just feels like something special yeah. they they went so above and beyond in so many different aspects and i was just blown away by it i think it, again it was really really fun it this was like a short film as well that easily could have been longer but i'm thankful that it was just the perfect length um which speaks to why it's high as it is um and this is another movie like the last one that the ending was fantastic you know like i think that's really what gets movies on our top 10 is what completes a film and then when you start pushing towards the top half of this list um and it's something that a lot of movies um have in common aside from maybe the next one actually which we'll get to um but i think they all have really good endings and that because that's what ties it together it's that final feeling i remember that the images that's on the screen when this ends and credits roll i was just like dumbfounded i was smiling yeah like i was smiling i was like you guys did it i was just sitting there reading the credits being listening to the song being like you guys fucking nailed it and and that fills me with joy as a fan of these things to be like it sucks when you watch something that you love and they just missed that ending you know like was it the lighthouse i think no not the lighthouse um what was it called the um um, the late oh, the, oh, what was the movie? Lake House or something um, like that. Yeah, the uh, the guy that did Hellraiser before Hellraiser. Yeah, um, which was which was like it was like a eight or nine out of ten, and then you yeah. couldn't stick the landing. Yeah, and yeah, it, like, I still like yeah that. something like that. I I still think about that because like mm. it's it really bums me out because so much of that movie was phenomenal, and then they just. I hated the ending so much, and it's it's such a shame. Um, so it's so cool when you see a movie like this that just nails the ending. Um, so yeah, yeah, big shout out to uh, No One Will Save You. People need again. This is I think there's a few, especially this bottom half of our list. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll start to get into bigger films that people have definitely heard of. Um, but you got to go and see these movies like Sick, like God Is a Bullet, like No One Will Save You if you haven't, because they're so good. Definitely. Um, and talk about baggage. Yes, yes. Talk about baggage, and let's talk about maybe not nailing the ending. 
actually um but surprisingly still high for uh, on our list number five um which is saw x um we finally did it we get to see a saw movie in a in a in a top 10 and a top five um it, it made a top 10 i mean i'm just happy it made a top 10 let alone a top five i know like i'm i'm just happy that we made a saw movie that i didn't hate because yeah mm. what we've what we've had to cover um for the podcast anyway you know obviously we didn't uh, we were fortunate we didn't have to cover saw 3d um which i think is probably still the worst or, or certainly one of the worst but let's not get into that discussion but yeah getting to jigsaw and spiral it, it's been painful um it's been a long time coming to feel yeah, long, like long i'm listeners of the show know the pain that mm. we've both been through but you in particular uh, oh yeah know. yeah we both felt it and, it, and it's it's yeah. been rough but i think this was you know i consider this a win like i say it, it has faults we talked about them in our podcast um particularly i think there are some really unsatisfying conclusions you know particularly one character and you know we talked about how to just green that sequel so they can rectify that it doesn't make this movie any better or worse but it just is what it is um but i think we saw amazing things we got to see probably the best performance of tobin bell in the whole franchise certainly one of the best and it's amazing to go back to that you know i think amanda there's some weirdness in it in terms of it timeline wise um and it's incredibly fan servicey to put her in this film but I, it worked for me it was fun seeing her interact with john again on screen after all these years i'm i'm filled with nostalgia this is a nostalgia hit this is made for the fans and again it's is it some like remarkable original movie? Absolutely not. Um, but did it finally cater to the fans? I, I, again, I said this going in, and I think I might have said it on the show. This is the 10th entry in a franchise. You're not making this for anyone else other than the fans. And if you are, you're doing it wrong. Like, the 10th entry in any franchise needs to be made for people that like the previous entries. If you're making a 10th entry thinking you're suddenly going to branch out and find a new audience, and yeah, the people that fucking hated the first nine Saw movies, they're really going to love this one. Like, no, that's not what you're doing. Cater to that fan base. Cater to those original films and what made them so special for so many years um you know those first six being so strong um so yeah it was a joy i'm just happy that we got to see saw on the big screen feel like saw we got the music we got the puppet we got some really good traps um and we got great jigsaw so yeah i had, I had such a blast with saw x like it was it's just fun being a saw fan and i i just took this i remember leaving the cinema and not feeling dread and disappointment for the first time since since the sixth film so um yeah i will take this one as a win i'm so happy with it i think that's the thing like when we um you know we, we've been on such a journey with saw and i think um with like the halloween remakes where they were kind of like saying Do you know what like fuck a lot of the franchise mm. we don't really like it we're gonna make our own movie and it's like no no, if you're making a 10th entry into a franchise, do it for the fans. And that's what they did with this. Um, and, you know, was it the best Saw movie in the world? No, but did it deliver on fan service for the first time in a decade? Absolutely. And I think that's the thing where I'm like, you know, if this had been Saw 8, we'd have been over the moon. Mm. And the fact that, like, we've had so much dreadful movie, you know, dreadful experiences and ups in terms of a saw movie being announced and then multiple downs in terms of having to watch a new saw movie. i think um you know to finally see one that's not dreadful um 
it, we would have liked this movie more if we hadn't had the other stuff that preceded it. But in the end, mm. this turned out to be a, you know, a strong, like I say, just a love letter to the franchise where it's like, is it, is it stupid? Yes. Is it, is it, <laughs> you know, is it ridiculous that everyone's aged 20 years, but it's set before a lot of the other stuff? Yes, yeah, ridiculous. But it's like, I don't care. Uh, do I want to see, do I want to see John Kramer? Do I want to see Amanda? Yes, I absolutely do. So I don't care how you give them to me as long as you give them to me and don't just like fake give them to me, just give them to me. And that's what this movie did. Um, and, and yeah, I think some of the traps, I think, I think the, we did have some good traps. I think they did go a little bit too um, just like gory for the sake of being gory as opposed to being clever. I would have liked there to have been some more clever traps but the fact that we kind of had a group of people in a room, it, it kind of was just like, let's just pick one person and then just absolutely wreck them and then move on to the next. And and that was enjoyable, but I would have liked there to have been, you know, more clever traps. But but ultimately, it was still a really fun movie and, um, you know, hilarious that, that we're now talking uh, Saw sequels in this little wheelhouse, this little window of... of, of, of um, all of these characters still being alive that we've managed to crowbar out, which is just insane. Yeah, definitely. And before we move on as well, the last thing I have to say, and again, this is a, a minor spoiler for people. Um, so be mindful of that. I'll give you a second. Um, but they, they showed us Hoffman like that. That is something that I will, I, I was so happy. I, I just, we, we never thought we'd get that. You know, it's something that we've talked about for ages this kind of retconning and, and acting like he's not a huge part of why the franchise was so awesome. And yes, it was a slither with, with sprinkled throughout the whole movie, which was cool. But like, I just seeing him on screen, it, it's probably one of like the, my favorite 10 seconds of cinema all year. <laughs> Cause it, it, again, it's just pure fan service and I get it. If you want to get into that whole argument, yeah, we just never thought we'd get it. No, like, I don't care about the context or anything, even though I actually liked the context. I liked the way his character was used in the film. But ultimately, I just needed Hoffman to get a reference and for him to be seen on screen in that era with that world. I was just so happy, man, because it's something that I never thought we'd get. And so, yeah, going forward, obviously now, like, that has to be massive. Like, we can't, it can't just be a voice cameo and a one screen anymore because, you know, that is he has to be a, a substantial part. Yeah. He has to be a substantial part. He has to be on screen at least as much as Amanda was in Sorex. Um, otherwise I'd consider it a disappointment, but yeah, I have to give a shout out to that. Cause that is one of my small wins of the year of, of seeing Hoffman. Like, do you, do you remember that feeling when it happened? I was just like, Holy shit. I wasn't yeah. I still can't believe it. It's awesome. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, moving on at number four, we have, um, the menu. Mm. God, we saw um, that so long ago. <laughs> my God. So this was Disney Plus, right? Yeah, Disney Plus, yeah. Um, and this was one that we kind of heard about a, a few weeks out and kind of saw the trailer for. The premise sounded cool and, like, went into it. I remember going into this, like, pretty excited. And this movie just absolutely delivered on what the promise was. Um, you know, starring – it's got a great cast. We kind of have – um ralph fines anya taylor joy nicholas holt kind of basically this this kind of insanely top tier um chef being played by ralph fines to this he, he only caters for like billionaires and the mega rich and we kind of go to this island and um 
Anya Taylor Joy is kind of this um, uh, escort for um, Nicholas Holt and kind of this fish out of water that shouldn't be there. Um, and then we just get to experience like this dining kind of uh, experience for these people. And it's just this, it's the most over the top, hilarious kind of aware, self-aware thing I've ever seen in my life of these um it's exactly how I see like this top tier level of kind of cuisine where, where he's like, Oh yeah, we're going to have a, a bread course with no bread. We're just going to have the sauce. And they're like, Oh, it's genius. It's genius. <laughs> of course, have a bread, have a bread course with no bread. What a genius. And I was like, Oh man, I love it. I love it so much. And there was just so many points in the movie where uh, we're not talking horror and we're not talking anything else uh, other than just, them poking fun at this like food world of this over the top, like stupid, like um, courses that make no sense and food that makes no sense. And, um, you know, the fact that kind of towards the end where, you know, Anya's character is like, just make me a fucking burger. Like just make me a burger and chips. Like, that's what I want. I, and I'm like, like it, it, it just kind of delivered on that so much. And then when we actually get into the kind of, horror and the kind of um you know um story around it all i think kind of ralph fines was incredible i think kind of he he just as as the head chef just just played it so well and kind of um had all of his uh, you know understudies that would that would literally die for him kind of nicholas holt's character was amazing how um infatuated with the chef he was Mm. and kind of you know how that all played out was just just immaculate and and um <clears throat> again was just a movie that that to me um uh, uh, along with a couple of others that we've just discussed where it was just like start middle and end it just delivered and when the movie ended i was just happy with what it gave me and and was just like yeah you've just you've nailed it you've given me a really great movie and and yeah i i just I really loved it. I had some laughs. I loved the commentary on the, the the food world. And then when we got the horror, I think it delivered as well. Yeah, the the menu is such a fantastic film. Like I desperately need to rewatch it because it's been you know nearly a year since we did. Um, but it really yeah, just ticks super early. Yeah, it was one of the first, if not the first, show of this year, and so it was just a great film like i think you get such unbelievable performances like that's definitely the thing that's that keeps with you is those that that trio of actors um and everyone really like all the supporting cast but like those three will anchor the movie um and it's so dynamic and interesting i think ralph as this villain is something that is so underutilized his kind of villainous techniques you know he's dabbled in horror he's very famously played a villain in in harry potter um which i think is still very underrated you know he's working in a in a specific type of film that he obviously can't go as hard as he can here but i think he still performs the shit out of that character in a way that yeah, is he's terrifying yeah it's unbelievable like he brings that character to life way more than i ever felt voldemort when i read the books um and so he is incredible but to see so many um so many levels to this character of why he is the way he is i thought that was stunning the way we kind of get all these reveals you know it's very difficult when you do that when you set up someone to be 
interesting and you, but it relies on on character reveals particularly in a final act your movie's gonna you know fail or succeed on that and it just worked like you get it you go oh i get this guy now he's not just this way because of whatever he is this way for v- for very specific reasons and i love that and the way anya manipulates that in the finale is is so strong um it it, it really was um a lot better than i thought actually like we were kind of it came out in the cinema last year um and it was one of like is this horror enough we didn't really know and it was like oh we really like the people in it you know it had a i think a quite a forgettable trailer that was probably afraid to show too much which i respect and it shows you probably why it is hard and and maybe i'm i am a bit harsh on trailers overall because i don't like trailers that they you know they show too much but this probably was a case of like okay they gave you what you wanted um and it was probably not enough to sell what the film was because they didn't want to show you the horror that's the problem exactly they didn't want to show you how unbelievably insane this is this has a crazy body count it has such a variety of kills whether it's insanely emotional kills or zany over-the-top kills like it it really has everything um and i think also the actual you know you touched upon it like the social commentary and the messaging um i think is really hard to pull off because you know we don't focus on the negative ever in terms of our nda stuff but i do need to bring up this film because i think it makes a point about the menu like um, this time last year one of the movies we're most excited to see in 2023 was infinity pool um because of who directed it and who was in it and i hated that film um not least because it, it kind of it felt like it had this really boring message of like yeah the social elite they're bad aren't they rich people equals bad and it and it didn't have anything else to add to that it was just like yeah rich people are weird aren't they and i was like yeah Okay, I just watched, I just wasted two hours of my life for you to tell me that rich people do weird shit and are annoying. Like, cool. I already knew that. So going into well, a I movie think... like The Menu, I'm worried that they're just going to do that. They're just going to say, like, yeah, isn't isn't high art and kind of um, fashion or, or any of these things being really into col- Colony and the way he is, isn't that, you know, very annoying and stupid? But, like, it goes so much deeper than that. It really tries to analyze why people do this. I think that's the difference is that it digs so much deeper as to, okay, but why does why do people do this? Because it's very easy just to say, yeah, yeah, the elite suck but why do they want to do this stuff you know what's the motivation behind it what's the real reasoning for wanting control and power and all these all these things and why does it culminate in people wanting to waste literal millions on this very elite social club involving food i think i think what this movie has as well is a great supporting cast and mm. characters within that supporting cast where infinity pool is just like oh, okay we're gonna have two or three really good actors and then we're just gonna have a load of sucky rich people mm. where it was like oh no this had like you know it had the 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 food critic it had like the rich like lads it had the the couple that were going there that were like out of love that never thanked the chef even though they went there like 20 times mm. just all of these different like layers to it um the 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 i think each each one of those sub characters could have been a main character or or a secondary character, but instead we had kind of eight secondary characters, and um, you know I don't think there was a single dinner table that wasn't interesting. Yeah. And I think I think that's why this movie was so strong in the end. Yeah, that's unbelievable because again, that's another thing that you you talk about the oh, I talked about the core of that trio of actors, and it would be so easy to be like 
man, whenever yeah, it's you not three bangers. Yeah, you would think like whenever it's not Nicholas and Anya's characters interacting with Ralph's character, the movie would suck, and it absolutely doesn't. Like everyone else fills their role, and you need a lot of characters in this movie because it's a it's a horror movie, and it wants to kill off people in cool and interesting ways. Therefore, you need to have people in it, and yeah, they're not. They're not just there to be killed. They're all serve a purpose for different reasons. Like there's a scene in the movie, isn't there, when he when he kind of prints all of these different things and character traits and like yeah, you talking about how yeah, there's like the couple who just do not appreciate it. You know, they take it completely for granted. For them, that is just like that you go into McDonald's. You know, they just happen to do this one special elite thing because they can, because they're privileged. Um so yeah, this is such a cool movie. I really need to rewatch the menu. I, I can't can't say enough good things about it really um but yeah moving on um to our number three film um and this is again there's a there's probably three films on here that i think uh you know fill us with joy that they get mm. to be on this list and th- this one i'm i mean it's 16 years in the making um and it is i'm just so happy it exists yeah like i'm happy this exists i'm happy we got to see it and i'm happy it was awesome um which is thanksgiving you know, and, and again, I'm very happy that we finally got to cover an Eli Roth horror film. Not a horror adjacent, not yeah. is it a thriller, is it this? No, he made a goddamn horror film. He finally made a slasher film, being that he's one of the biggest fans of slashers in, that have ever existed. And he made an incredible one. He made one of the best ones. Um, and he made a super original one that I think will stand the test of time. I think hopefully it will become a, a franchise now. They're not going to milk it. They're going to take two years. I think that's the right call. Um, but I'm excited. I think Eli has reignited his 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 fire in his belly um, with the horror genre. And he, he has been for too long you know he's done films great films um in the past but i think he's back with avengers now and this for me could be his thing that he's most like this late in his career this might be the thing that we know him best for in 10 years he might not be the hostile guy you know we thought he would be that forever um and maybe he might be the thanksgiving guy because this is such a strong entry um it's fun it's funny the premise is awesome i think it takes the wacky trailer and the way it substantially makes this into an original horror film in 2023 is almost mind-blowing i don't think either of us saw that aspect coming you know we thought oh yeah it's a fun um slasher it's gonna have these wacky kills you know like people being cooked like turkeys like we saw in the trailer and stuff but to actually get like the use of modern tech um their take on black friday especially in this kind of long drawn out opening sequence is not only hilarious but one of the most kind of stressful and tense things i've seen all year um again nailing social commentary as well and and, and again but it's not obvious like it's that that's there if you want to talk about consumerism and 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 that being rampant and out of control but fundamentally it wants to just be a fun entertaining tense horror sequence and that's what it delivered um really fun characters throughout a a really iconic look and name of a villain who i think you know carver is now up there with with a lot of the modern ones that we've seen almost like an art the clown where we're starting to see these more traditional archetypes of horror um icons come back and i really i'm here for it i I want to see the next you know i want to see the next generation of freddie and jason and pinhead and leatherface it's so cool um and those icons are why i love horror yeah 
and and exactly. sort of you know and and it felt like the genre for so long shied away from having like a vocal point and being mm. like oh yeah we're going to give you a ghost face we're going to give you a freddy and it's like yeah give us give us you know don't just give us a slasher movie give us an icon as well with it and and you know, uh, Art the Clown did that fantastically in recent mm. years, and and you know, I think as you said, this this has done the yeah, like it it really has, hasn't it? Like I think it's Carver really will stand the test of time, and it's it, I can't believe that this worked out. <laughs> I think that's kind of like my final point, and I'll throw it over to you. Is like yeah. it's it really. I, as a fan, as a, someone who is probably more than a fan, like it's arguably my favorite film experience ever in terms of everything that encompasses Grindhouse, from being obsessed with Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez at the time, um, you know, loving both those films and is and is still two of my favorite films. But then my obsession with these weird fake trailers: what's Rob Zombie doing? What you know? What's Edgar Wright doing? Oh my God, Machete has now become two awesome films that I love, and to finally films. <laughs> to finally see um eli join that and 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 add to that legacy i i thought it was over i thought that time and a place was gone um i didn't yeah, think we'd still be seeing new stuff but it hasn't though that's the thing like these are, you know we're, we're now in a post thanksgiving world we're, we're gonna get thanksgiving too grindhouse is an ongoing on rob zombie <laughs> exactly like we need you know what's edgar wright doing what's rob zombie doing? they're the only two now come on guys you're dropping the ball i don't i don't know whether edgar wright has got that sort of risk in him right now you know unfortunately i wish he did i get so um, worried, but you know as just as a fan of him because i don't know what he does next no, I mean, he, he, made his, he made his most beautiful movie and no yeah. one saw it it's gonna be shit in terms of for us. I I, I think yeah. he's gonna make something he's that is be Transformers or something. Yeah, it'll be Transformers or it'll be like a you know a um yeah or Batgirl or something. It'll just be some yeah. rubbish franchise film that we just don't care about. Yeah. But anyway, um, <laughs> Thanksgiving. Yeah, th- this movie is just obscene, really, because it, 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 for us more than most people, because you know ninety percent of people that see this movie is gonna have no idea. which is fantastic but the fact that you know this trailer existed this movie you know the trailer was fun back in the day it was a really fun over-the-top trailer that made no sense and and you can't make a movie from that trailer because it's just well you can but it would just be a very simple movie and Mm. and kind of when this got announced i thought oh okay Eli's just going to go for it and he's going to give us a really simple movie. We're just going to go hit, 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 hit those kills and just be really dumb. And it's going to be a really throwback to like an 80s horror movie where it's just simple and dumb. And then, and then the movie starts and we get this Black Friday and this whole scene around Black Friday. And I was like, he's fucking made a script. <laughs> like, he's fucking made a film out of this. And then, and then we got further into it and I was like, He's made a fucking franchise. I was like, what a crazy son of a bitch. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and, and, you know, and, and that's what blew me away, that this movie, you know, needed to exist. Once it got announced, it needed to exist for the fans of the trailer. Because ultimately, if it's not doing that, it's like what we said about Saw, it's failing. Um, <clears throat> but the fact that he went above and beyond and made this awesome movie, you know, it had, it had fantastic kills, Inside and outside of the trailer, I think it should have um, had more towards the end. I think the end was a little bit long in the tooth. Mm. Um, 
but I loved the opening. I, I loved a lot of the cat and mouse, and then ultimately it won it back round in the finale. And and yeah, it was just a was just a really solid movie that that had no right to really exist in twenty twenty three. You know, a a, a sequel, well, a, a movie made from a trailer from um, you know sixteen years ago, whatever it was. It's like it, it's absolutely preposterous, and and I love it. And and mm-hmm. yeah, for. For that reason, like I will be forever happy that Thanksgiving exists, let alone the fact that we're going to have sequels. Yeah, and we finally got Eli in the top ten. Like I think it's so cool. Yeah. You know, we we yeah. we've had we've got to celebrate so many of our favorite directors. We've grown mm. to love new directors that obviously the the likes of Eggers and stuff weren't loves that we brought to the to the podcast before we started it. Um, you yeah. know, we've had people like Rob in the top ten and stuff, and Edgar. But for to see Eli finally be here you know he he's he's such a huge name in the horror genre and it really has been a shame that we've not got to discuss three or four of his films at this point and so i'm just thankful we we got this one i think that's the thing like rob zombie and eli roth were like those like horror guys that we loved that kind of reignited the fire for us Mm. that that was the genesis the podcast starting it was like oh shit there is still good new horror and there are new guys, you know, we don't just have to love Wes Craven. And so the fact that we finally get one was great, but I guess we're going to have to move on, mm. unfortunately. <laughs> um, but yeah, number two, um, this this movie was um, one that I remember when I discussed it in my upcoming list and and was just like really excited about it because of the premise. And then the fact that it was uh, British. And just sounded like very over the top and just just um, had this. Uh, I remember them watching the trailer and being like, oh, man, this looks like better than what I thought it should be. And and then the movie just never came out. <laughs> and um, eventually we got to see it this year. And that is Unwelcome. Um, and yeah, the movie has um, <clears throat> again, like we've spoken about it with a few of the movies in our top ten. This movie has a really strong opening scene, um, very dark and and very, uh, you know, the, the we we meet the couple with kind of um, expecting their their first child and literally just getting the positive test, isn't it in the opening scene? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, and then and then suddenly they get attacked by a gang and just this sense of like oh, God, please don't hurt her. Like, please don't hurt her. There's no need to hurt her. And then eventually when it happens and you just think, like, oh, God, this whole movie is now going to be, like, dread of this lost child. And I remember then when it, like, cuts to them, like, traveling to Ireland and you don't see her fully for a little bit. And then eventually when you do and you see that she's heavily pregnant and it's just, like, this sense of relief where you're like, oh, thank God. Like it was, it was great to have that for like an opening scene of the movie, <clears throat> and then and then eventually when we actually get to kind of the couple kind of moving to Ireland from um, you know London and kind of being the, these fish out of waters inherit in this house and and the fact that when they get shown round and the lady that shows them round just just kind of it, it, it's such an amazing scene where she's just showing them around and she's like yeah so you know. You got four bedrooms. You got like a kitchen. You got you got um you got an outhouse there. You got a nice big garden, 
Oh, and that gate at the bottom of the garden, you, you have to kind of put raw meat there and feed the goblins every night, otherwise they'll kill people. So, um, and it's got beautiful views of the town <laughs> if you go up to the top. Floor. And, and it was like, <laughs> I, I loved it so yeah, much. Yeah, it was beautifully run. It, it was so beautiful. And, and, then, and then when we eventually kind of get into it, all of the lore with the, the goblins is great, but but it, it doesn't take over. The The movie is still about this couple, um, <laughs> this couple trying to renovate their house <laughs> and and uh, employing the best family of builders that have ever been in a in a movie. I think just just the 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 best representation of like low end local British builders that I've <laughs> ever seen in my life. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Every scene that their family, the family was in, was fantastic. Um, what were they, the, the Wheelins? Mm. Um, le- and, and you know, let alone when Daddy turns up and uh, <laughs> makes everyone call him Daddy, was just there. Was so many parts of it was fantastic. Uh, let alone, you know, already glossed over the scene where they um, we, we get a typical British pub mm. and we get we get we get that played to perfection which is one of our favorite things in a horror movie um yeah although this movie was set in ireland it felt very local mm. kind of for us and kind of you know a lot of the scenes and um sorry the scenery and and the where this was set it, it just felt very um yeah very very local to us and very kind of you know, true to what we wanted a British horror movie to be. We've spoke about it for years of this kind of small desolate towns with this, you know, the, the, the overgrown, uh, the, the fact that this movie actually has uh, a narrow road with a, with a close encounter with the tractor is fantastic. <laughs> and, and, and yeah, just so many things like that, that it delivered on. Um, it had laughs, it had scares and, and some over the top kind of, characters and villains as well in and the, the whole goblins the fact that kind of when they eventually kind of appear on screen they deliver so hard you know that it, it, it could have been um in the shadows never shown it could have been just played for laughs and in the end it was dark and hilarious and just just very well done i think anyway yeah, Unwelcome is a remarkable film. I, I still can't believe that, that all of those different elements work as well as yeah, they do. Can. Because, yeah, you normally get one or the other. But, like, the fact that it starts and within the first ten minutes I'm so emotionally invested in the characters um, was outstanding. We then, like I say, get all of these... You know, it's almost like they've listened to what we've wanted in a film for the last five, six years and just put them everything yeah. in. It was like, do you want this hilarious tour guest that's setting up this horror trope? Has this amazing take on a pub scene that's very kind of self-aware? Um, just outstanding. So the fact that it delivered, the setting, the tone, all of that stuff, you then get like the, the wheel and stuff is... It's rare that when I hear someone talk about it or I just think about it, I'm laughing to myself because it's it's like unbelievable how funny th- these sequences are. Like it's by far the, the most I've laughed at anything all year was watching this goddamn family um, interact with this poor couple and being, 
you know like i'm laughing because i just know that situation and and have mm. seen it time and time again and it's such an amazing portrayal of it this really you're really stuck between a rock and a hard place like you there is no right answer you know because you have a problem that needs to be fixed and they are the only people yeah, you can rely a little on. hole in your roof exactly and so you're just gonna have to let him take a massive shit in your toilet it's as simple as that and so yeah. and eat all your biscuits he's gonna have to eat your biscuits yeah, yeah. so it's it's just outrageously done like th this is someone who has also clearly lived this life um to put this in this movie so flawlessly it, it's clearly based upon like real interactions and it just works so like it all of that works and then it goes, oh, but how about a major portion of this movie is this incredible dedication and throwback to an era of horror that you just don't see anymore. The level of creativity and puppetry with these kind of physical creatures um, and making them come to life, having personalities, having all different fun ways to interact on screen, having cool, fun ways to kill people on screen, where it really is these gory over-the-top violent kills that are ludicrous because it's that it's that leprechaun energy it's that troll energy um it just works like i really cannot believe that it does those things i really thought it would either be in one column or another column oh this was so dumb and fun or has our more serious horrors our more elevated horrors and i think this has done the best job of merging those two it has laugh out loud scenes but it has real scenes of of and it's not just the opening scene as well i think the, the their fears of trying to raise a child in this world is yeah, like a cool. really awesome theme that carries the whole movie and i think the main female performance her kind of like maternal instincts is what is really strong throughout the whole movie like i just loved it it's unwelcome is an outstanding um british film and we've got to see so many incredible ones and it, it and they also different as well when you think about what saint maud does compared to what this does they're like so different films but i love them both so much and so i adore yeah, welcome. such standout british horror movies that, that have just filled us with so much joy the mm. fact that you know we've we've got to see them and it is one that like we're always going to champion british horror movies more but but the fact that we've got such good ones it's mm -hmm. made it easier for us which is great yeah and like so i think before there was a more there was an era that was very much like uh, almost like a slapstick comedy horror is what you got mostly with british films um and i think we've 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 come so far past that now with, with movies like saint maud and obviously last night in soho that are just best in class across the genre but then something like this that feels yes it's funny but it's not funny like those movies 15 or 20 years ago were those british horror films i don't think i think they were probably in the in the shadows of the the hammer and stuff and i think we were trying to find our identity for a while and i think they've truly found it now they truly found the they found their niche like what we kept talking about is that there are these pockets these small communities and that's always what what makes horror so so great is finding these small towns and and britain has so many of those of these weird little things and like i say this feels like yeah we just stumbled into this tiny populated village in ireland 
and everyone's normal and everyone's happy except for the fact that there's these little goblins that come out at night and you just just leave your raw meat out and everything will be fine and to be honest in this crazy crazy world especially given the two opportunities would i rather live in a shithole in london or or this place in ireland it would be it would would be a no-brainer for me i know which one i'd take in a heartbeat um yeah you just feed the goblins you know it's not that bad it's not even not Um, even close (laughs) i think as well like like you say i think in in some ways i feel like shaun of the dead was such a a problem for Mm -hmm. british horror for a while because people looked at it in the wrong way with with shaun of the dead and then hot fuzz and they looked at the comedy so much of those but actually if they looked at hot fuzz and what it did for like you say small town british culture Mm -hmm. and kind of showing that and bringing that into the horror movies and i feel like for probably a decade we had movies like um the cottage Mm. with um andy circus which was a really fun you know funny horror movie had some good kills and was a really good british horror movie but was very much along the dna of shaun of the dead yeah and it was the best one i think post shaun of the dead that we got um but you know and it's taken so long to branch away and be like no you know saint maud has got zero laughs um but it has you know the the dna of hot fuzz with this small town you know give us that vibe and and show us what these tiny communities are like and 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 not being afraid to be british in a horror movie which is what shaun of the dead and hot fuzz did Mm. where it's like oh if you want to like it rest of the world like it but it's going to be very british we're going to joke about um cornettos and we're gonna you know we're gonna do things that are very british and i think um you know, those are the things that, that movies like St. Maud and Unwelcome have 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 championed those parts of the Edgar Wright movies as opposed to the, the comedic parts, um, which is long overdue for sure. Yeah, I wonder how this movie reads um, outside the UK, because I do feel mm. like there are mm. certain characters, especially with the Whelans and that, that either, oh, the you know, you, either the style of comedy just doesn't work because you can't relate to that type of person, or just the accents are so strong, you know, I'm even not picking up every single word that they're saying, because the, the delivery is so quick and heavy with that accent that I wonder if that is a, you know, a point of contention for other people. Um but yeah, such a great film. It might, it might, I'm really disappointed that this doesn't have like an amazing physical release because this for mm. me is one of those movies I want to own. I want to champion. Yeah, well, I want, but I, I would obviously love any of these amazing ones to do like an amazing treatment. But like, I looked into it and I couldn't even see like a decent just physical UK Blu-ray. Um, mm. There's a there's there's an American release and there's like a Spanish release, which obviously it would just be the text on the. Um, the you know the cover or whatever but like it's weird to me that this is a, a british film that seemingly doesn't have a proper release over here um i looked on amazon and other major websites and, and couldn't find one so I, I don't know what's up with that um and it's a shame because i should just say oh, it doesn't really matter and i'll just rent it digitally but like that's the reason why I, that's the only reason why i haven't rewatched this film is because every time i think about it i look into buying a cool version and then it just doesn't exist Indeed. and then i just forget um so yeah, they they need to sort that out. But yeah, Unwelcome's an incredible film. Um, but it's it sadly takes the run up spot. But I think it'll be very happy with that. It's such an underrated film. And again, that's another one that people need to not sleep on Unwelcome because I, I feel like it just it didn't even remotely get the coverage it deserves. And it is strange. Nice. Like 
we'll probably get to this more in a, in a sec, but I'll, I guess I'll say it now, but it's on my mind is like, there are so many films I saw that did kind of take over the internet for a little while. Mm-hmm. And a couple, that, a couple that we covered that were terrible. They were just yeah. absolute even, shite. Even ones that were like, okay. Yeah. Like Megan. Yeah. Megan was like, at least I, I at least i get that though like i get with the marketing and with the trailer and who made mm-hmm. it like to me that made perfect sense that megan got a lot of coverage um but there's other films that we saw that was just like like that fan footage one in the desert i can't remember what it was called but like everyone was raving about that to the point where i was like oh my god is this like the new blair witch and that that movie was awful and i was like oh, where yeah that movie I, I honestly thought you were you made a movie yeah like yeah i'm because I thought Matt's trolling me. Yeah. Like, this, this is a troll. Like, was that the one? Was so excited. I think that was the one, wasn't it? Where I literally had to... I pulled up the reviews afterwards, which I've never done in eight Ooh. years of doing the show. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Because I had the quotes of all what people had said about it. Because it was like... Yeah. It, it made no sense. I was like, I did not... I was like... I, I remember I was just, like, sending you a string of messages whilst <laughs> watching it. Like, you you, you got to be kidding me, right? Like... <laughs> Yeah, so I was like, I'm not taking the flack for this. This is gen- this is genuinely the entire horror, <laughs> horror community online's fault. Um, and I say no one's talking about a movie like Unwelcome. But anyway, um, we'll leave that because, yeah, we need to talk about our number one movie. Like number one, baby. Yeah, the number one movie of the year for us. I mean, it's probably no surprise. Like, if people have heard us talk at, at any point in this year... I the last six years yeah like i don't think it's a surprise <laughs> because we love this film and we obviously love this franchise but i think both of us are blown away that it ended up being our number one film um which is the latest entry in the scream franchise of course scream six um which even this film yeah seems like a long time ago now so much has happened post scream six that it's like oh yeah that film came out but like it, it's easy to forget that because this movie i was blown away you know we talked about scream 5 last year it was um number 10 i believe in our list and you know really liked it and it was really cool how much they stayed true to wes i think they were almost overly respectful at times which is so so cool that they did that you know they didn't want to step on the toes and they wanted to treat legacy right and this and that but i think this was we talked about this this time last year they said about taking the shackles off we've got our new characters now that we believe in and we want to go for it and and that's exactly what they did and they they just over delivered i really didn't think a direct sequel to last year's movie could be this good um really liked those characters in the last film but i i love i fell in love with them in scream six the the core four is baby is iconic to me in horror is the reason why we both agree that going forward and again to to ignore the you know the what actually happened the bullshit but from from a fan perspective we both said like we we are done with legacy we don't want to see legacy we want to see the core four in another film that's how much we love them and that's rare i think we said again like what other horror franchise has kind of done that has stayed good always and completely reinvented itself to like a different thing like when i think about why we love scream now i think about wes craven's movies with kevin williamson and that core cast and then i think about the two movies with the core four now with these new filmmakers and it almost is like two eras yes there is that crossover there is that reference in legacy we've got certain um links to characters from the past films etc but it does feel like it was the respectful way to bring scream into the modern age to modernize scream and it wasn't just 
it could again we you've already referenced it once so i don't even want to beat it again but it it doesn't need to be one of these franchises that just relies on hey isn't do you remember that character from the 80s that you love they're back now and that's it they don't add anything new to the party and it could have easily been that it could have easily been you love dewey you love gail you love sydney it could have been so easy to rely on those characters again and they could have i could have I'm sure they could have made a very successful couple of films and, and potentially a new trilogy just based upon those legacy. Um, but they didn't do that. They made new, bold decisions. Um, you know, in this new movie, I think they make the the killer reveal from the last movie even better, which I think is a great retcon because that was mm-hmm. my, my biggest issue of Scream 5, and I think now it's it's less of an issue. Um, I still think this movie is infinitely better and is, and is just such a strong film overall. The kind of that huge sequence that we talk about a lot in the middle um, involving so many different moving parts. You have like a character who gets killed in a bedroom. You have a guy watching who's, who can see that happen. Who's trying to contact the other members. You know, you then have the cat and mouse scene with some people run down the stairs and leave. You have other people trapped in a bedroom. Who's trying to get to the guy across the street involving a ladder. Like the way that entire thing evolves and has different threats has, you know, your mind start racing about, well, who's really in on this? Because you you really see like almost everyone in this scene, which I think is so rare in a Scream film. That's almost like the one trick that they have to pull is that, okay, each character is going to have their confrontation with Ghostface almost separately, or you'll have like a duo. So it's really rare to see pretty much everyone in one scene. And like the way they get around that is, is very clever, I thought. Um and the way the killers are revealed as well, like I immediately rewatched this movie and I think there's so many cool throwaway lines or, or were throwaway lines the first time I watched the movie. Now knowing who the killers are, it makes perfect sense. It's very knowing, it's very meta. I think they're there for people that are rewatching the film. Um, you know, the opening sequence is something that was um, a oh, breath of fresh air for us you know again it's it's it is this very specific to us but like we we called it and it's something that we've actively you know the the the, the, the receipts are there you can go back and listen to us talk about five screen movies and during the course of that we will have absolutely talked multiple times about how we've always said we either want the killer to be killed in the opening scene and it be the reveal that it was just a copycat or, you know, the 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 person gets killed who's being stalked. And we kind of got both of those things, um, you know, slightly remixed and, sli- and in slightly different ways that I didn't see coming as well, particularly with what happened to that that first killer. Um, it's, it was just outstanding. This was a joy. Um, what, what, what would you like to say about this incredible entry in the franchise? Yeah, I mean... It, it just um, like like you said, it, it built on what was a really good, um, you know, continuation post Wes and post Kevin um, <clears throat> in last year's entry, but had no right to be as good as what it was. And I think um, not being afraid to um, take those shackles off and just run with the new characters was such a bold choice. And one that one that ultimately delivered. Um, we had some really great kills in this movie. We had some really great sequences. You know, the opening scene was fantastic. The the um, apartment ladder sequence was was out of this world. The fact that um, 
seeing the trailer and seeing the subway mm-hmm. sequence. Yeah. And we were like, oh, we know how this one plays out. And then it played out totally differently in the movie. It was just so clever and, and just so many parts of it really was clever. Um, yeah, to the point that I'm absolutely in love with Scream still and, and just because I never I never was out of love with Scream, but I was always worried that, that the love could end very quickly. But I'm 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 so happy with the movies we've had and um you know worried about the future because of all the bad news that have come out post this movie mm. <clears throat> but where they left um the franchise at the end of this was at such a great spot really and and to me it almost feels like now knowing what we know um it would be better to move away from from these and that this could be a, a goodbye for a lot of these characters as opposed to a continuation. Mm. You know, when Sam kind of drops the mask and everything, that that could be her just saying, fuck you, Billy, I'm walking away. And and it didn't feel like that when the movie ended, but now knowing what we know, I kind of, you know, hope that is what it is. And um, yeah, yeah, you know, like like you said, the fact that this makes the killer from the last movie better um yeah was was really was really great as well you know the 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 legacy characters that that came back were the the worst parts of this movie for sure you know gail and kirby um Mm. but we're still fine you know but it it proves that that scream is more than legacy and i think that's the most important part if we were in like this movie and we still just had those three characters um still alive from from the first four movies you know it would have just become so difficult to continue watching them even though i love those characters more than almost any character in horror that they can't keep surviving and being in movies um and and that is true for the core four as well you know do i think that it would just be two movies um not necessarily but i don't want to see him for like four or five more movies do you know what i mean you know they need to die or move on and if if all of the news that we've got coming out means that they move on with with a new with a new um group of characters i'm i'm all for it yeah that that's where i mean that was where we kind of disagreed or the only thing we disagreed at the time was that i was very much like i think this is peak scream and i don't see how you could get better than this um so that mm. was that was the only reason why i didn't want more whereas obviously for you it was fair enough that you were like well this movie's awesome let's make another one i think obviously now things are very different um yeah. i i don't think you know that forcing a trilogy yes it makes a lot of sense storyline wise a lot of the time you know there's a reason why trilogies exist and are so consistent um but i also really like like what you said of you introduce the characters and you like them i think we then got the best version of these four characters um and i am more than happy to walk away right now with these four um i don't think it would have been you know there are definitely loose ends like her mom etc who have not played a part yet who could um and again, that's ignoring the real life stuff that we know, because if if it if it is the case that we've now got two of our core four, especially the main two, the, the Carpenter sisters not being a part of Scream 7, it's just pointless to me. And like the talks of bringing back Nev and stuff, I'm just 
I don't want that mm-hmm. to sully this um, yeah. because it's very easy to then be like, oh, well, it was all just shit anyway and blah, 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 because ultimately all of this stuff happened after we saw Scream 6. And, and Scream 6 is an incredible movie. Um, I think it's it just shows this franchise as well. If we talked about it before that it's, it's one of the most overall strong horror franchises that have ever existed. Um, and it's potentially the strongest because if you ignore the TV offshoot, um, and how much you want to kind of include that, you have six films that I think are all great. Um, I think that's the thing. I think a lot of people do. Um, so it's, you know, it's whether or not you want to include that because whilst I enjoyed the first two seasons, that third season was one of the worst things I've ever seen. Um, but I also don't think it really counts. Like maybe that's me just making up excuses for something that I love, but to me, that doesn't feel like Chucky or evil dead, you know, because fundamentally it wasn't any of the original people anyway. And I know you could argue that's the same with these two, but you know, you didn't have cast members either. So if you don't have crew or cast working on it, what really is it other than just selling the rights? Um, so I think if you look at just the film franchise, it is so unbelievably strong. Um, you know, cause I think last year's entry is my least favorite. Um, and I love, I, I scream five is awesome. I really liked it. And I think scream six has made it better and it's my least favorite scream. Um, and scream six is just, it elevated everything. And I think it had such a strong finale again, compared to last year's entry, the, the idea of the shrine, the shrine with kind of bringing back all the killers and stuff again, good amount of fan service, but not hitting you over the head with it um letting the the new characters do the talking i think some of the more stuff like the billy stuff in last year's movie and we we talked about going into this one how nervous we were you know how i had kind of sketched out like oh here's my take on what could be the worst version of scream six involving our lead character and they almost did it as like the whole movie's trolling they're gonna do that and then they say, of course, we're not going to do that. That's stupid. And and that's brilliant. Like, I love like what you talked about with her throwing that mask away and leaving that aspect of her behind. Like, no, she's not just going to become the psycho killer because of who's uh, what her blood is like. They really nailed that, I think. Um, so, yeah, Scream 6 was a joy. I, I still can't believe it was as good as it is. Um, and I still can't believe a franchise movie wins our, our best movie for the first time. Um, I know it blows my mind. Like, you know, if you'd have said to me um, at the beginning of the year that our um, number one movie of the year is a Scream movie, mm-hmm. it would have filled me with so much joy. <laughs> After last um, year, as well, it was number 10. <laughs> I know. Well, and, and we were happy. Yeah. I remember in our top 10, we were like, we're glad that Scream is one of the best movies of the year. Yeah. But, you know, Scream multiple years would have been our movie of the year if we were recording a podcast back then. Mm. Um, so the fact that we got it and, and this was the movie of the year, you know, was this the strongest year for horror? No, no, absolutely not. Um, but Scream was still the best movie of the year, and that makes me very, very happy. Yeah, for sure. I think we can kind of transition that into that now, really, as we kind of sum up before we go into mm. our individual awards um yeah 2023 it's it's interesting because we talked about it on on, yeah on a week by week basis that i think it wasn't as strong as previous years and i think that is the case um i think it's also it was it's twofold for me personally i think film outside of horror was also very weak so therefore it kind of dragged horror and just film down in general because aside from 
Oppenheimer and Mission Impossible. There's like almost no other film I really enjoyed this year, you know, that wasn't a horror film. Um, and that's rare. Usually there's like so many. Well, I did like the creator as well, but like there just wasn't a huge amount. Um, and then the fact that TV and video games over delivered massively this year um, and had their best years almost ever um you know across the board for both um and so that was like oh that's also then br brings film down because i prefer film usually more than anything else yeah i had way more fun with certain tv shows and certain video games um so just it was a weak year but then i look at the the top 10 and i really like these films of course um i think for me what stands out is they're all really good like, mm. this is a great list that I would recommend people watch all these films. But you look back on previous years, and it's absolutely missing a lighthouse, a midsummer, a last night in Soho. You know, like these really, uh, the Northman last year, like these big films that I think were, and maybe that just shows how lucky we've been with Get Out and yeah. Don't Breathe and A Quiet Place. Like, to me, they are modern classics that I will, you know, I'll forever cherish, you know, Soho in these movies. They genuinely are some of my favourite movies ever. And this year absolutely doesn't have that. It has an amazing franchise movie and it has a bunch of really great films. But, like, I, I don't think I'll look back on any of these. Summer, Get Out, A Quiet Place, I just won't um, no. because it was lacking original horror on that really elite level but it was good it was it was consistently fun but yeah overall i think like certain heavy hitters missed for us that, that aren't on this list and then we just lacked a lot you know we had flanagan doing tv um which is why tv was so was strong right. yeah but we didn't have um the big names that we've had previously and the big names that we did have didn't deliver this year we had m night who didn't deliver mm. for us we had brandon cronenberg who didn't deliver for us like there was big names um there was some some other ones as well but like it's just yeah it's it's interesting what what do you think about it i guess kind of overall and compared to other mediums etc yeah i mean i think this year has been really difficult you know there's been um you know when when you did your your um recap and show how many episodes we did and how many mm. new movies we did you know yes we've had illness as as evidence with still suffering with it <laughs> but um we've we've also you know it's been easy to take weeks off because it has been a struggle you know that there have been multiple weeks where we've had nothing to watch and we're literally like just just searching for stuff and when these gems have come up it's made them all more rewarding um but I think this has been one of the weakest years that we've ever covered for the for the podcast for sure. Mm. Yeah, it is. I think when aside from twenty twenty, um, which obviously mm. had its reasoning, um, yeah. I do think yeah, because we've had we've really come back with a vengeance post that. I was very mm. worried what the long term effects of COVID would have, and twenty twenty one and twenty twenty two were so unbelievably stunning, and mm. maybe that that is we're now catching up of like a three year cycle. And we're starting to see certain gaps. Um, and, and also, maybe it's just the way it fell. Because if you look at next year, it's crazy. When you look at the names that we're getting next year, we're getting Robert Eggers. We're getting a Mike Flanagan movie. We're getting a Jordan Peele movie. You know, we're getting Saw. We're getting, we're getting a lot of big stuff. Um, and so maybe it was just a case of, yeah, a lot of people just didn't... They, they just weren't ready this year. And so this is what we got. Um but yeah, it certainly wouldn't go pound for pound with some of, with a lot of our other lists for sure. I think the 
the first year in 2016 we kind of didn't have as as a comprehensive cover of the genre you know we kind of really started full-time every single week in 2017 and then aside from obviously 2020 i think this probably is the weakest year um but uh yeah still some good films though like i say and if you and as long as you're not if you only watch film and only watch horror film it would have been a struggle um if you like all forms of entertainment especially tv and especially not just video games horror video games this year had arguably one of the greatest years ever for horror video games with the resident evil 4 remake the dead space remake and alan wake 2 like those three alone are ridiculous like that's an insane year to have free like elite level horror video games mm, um which is fantastic but uh yeah shall we shall we take a quick break and we'll uh, we'll move on to our individual awards let's do it So yeah, these are our, our awards that we've been given out since we started this in 2016. Um, we never change them. Yeah, which for some reason we were like, we can never change these. Um, so a lot of these are pretty outdated. <laughs> and there's certain things like, you know, director maybe, or I don't know, music, things that are very important. We're like, nah, we'll nah. leave them, but we'll keep nebulous stuff like best like villain, which, yeah, yeah, like, you know, some years you don't even get a good villain and you might have amazing films. Um, <laughs> but, you know. Yeah, nebulous titles like let's let's start with best surprise shall we yeah best surprise which (laughs) which is literally it means best surprise to us which i know that's what all the awards are but obviously this is so specific to us um because when i read the top three just now i was like i'm confused (laughs) (laughs) um yeah we we picked these a while ago now <laughs> yeah so i'm like oh yeah we picked that did we cool um but yeah the, as spoiler alert this is probably a month since we uh yeah. we, we finished these and then and then was able to record oh yeah we were so, like, so oh, a lot of these are a surprise for us at this point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we were like we'll get this podcast wrapped up uh, this year uh, nice and early in early december and then and then yeah. it just didn't happen um yeah. So yeah, best surprise. As always, there is a winner, but uh, first two runner-ups. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I guess best surprise. First one again. And most of these we'll have already talked about, so we'll keep these very brief. Especially if there's things that are featured in our top ten, because there's a lot of crossover. But there will be plenty mm-hmm. of stuff that we get to talk about for the first time. Um, but this one is is, is no surprise because a lot of these we talked about how surprising these films were. Um, but yeah, runners-up. Um, I guess first runner-up would be Unwelcome. Um, mm-hmm. Again, I think we just talked about it, but a surprise for me that it ticked all those boxes. I thought it would either just be a fun comedy horror, and that was it. I did not expect such emotional investment and just an overall cohesive, well adapted film. And and yeah, we were we were you know we were looking forward to this for a while. This was one of those ones that you'd kind of. Um, picked up on um and and talked about but i think it was a case of like man i didn't expect it to be you know number two of the year based upon no, the that's, the that's the thing and then i mean talking about surprises a movie that became we didn't know it existed and then it made the top 10 list um mm. no one will save you um you know is the definition of surprise that the week before we didn't preview it and then and then yeah here we are at year end talking about it um 
just fully delivered was a fantastic movie one of the best movies of the year um and absolutely came out of nowhere yeah that that's the definition of like for me what i want from best surprise because it was zero prep going in it was like hey this movie just dropped yeah shall we see it and then it was like oh this movie's awesome like i want that more i want that if if i could have that every week that's the dream um But then there are, our winner is kind of the the counter to that, which is that we had probably active prejudice against it going in, mm-hmm. which again is rare for us. But we just talked about it in our top 10, um, which is talk to me. You know, again, it goes without saying, but a brief roundup, like I actively dislike this genre. And for a movie to come out and be genuinely um, a breath of fresh air in such an, an overcrowded, shite, trite genre was unbelievable to me and so i i couldn't believe that i walked out of a cinema possession horror in 2023 and had a good time because i thought that was impossible absolutely absolutely Mm -hmm. it it really was um but yeah i guess uh moving on to best death Mm, it's always Um, a fun one i like this category yeah yeah this is fun you know it's a horror movie podcast we've got to talk about Mm. best death yeah Um, and this never fails to deliver we always get such cool ones across everything and the first little reference of uh, TV shows, which mm. may be sprinkled throughout this, uh, our little categories from now mm. on. Um, but we have the death of Perry in the fall of House of Usher. Mm. Um, and again, House of Usher will get referenced again. Um, spoiler alert. Um, but yeah, the, the, the kills in this, mo- in this, in this TV show were <coughs> very entertaining. And, and, became the um finale of each episode um very quickly you realized that was the case and perry was really the catalyst for that Mm. and and it really was the um it was such a long kind of drawn out foreboding kind of you know he was arranging this this party he was like oh yeah there's just yeah there's some water containers in the top yeah let's just connect them to the fucking system and sprinkler system and like all of it just was like oh god god what's gonna happen and then and then when it eventually happens um you know it it really um let alone the fact that like you know you had carla's this was the this was one of the first times we saw carla's character Mm -hmm. kind of in this way um you know having all her interactions and her like whispering to the bar staff and them disappearing and and then obviously speaking with perry and and yeah the way it all played out and then just to see the because often you'll get like the the money shot but the fact that we got the aftermath and the episode ended with just these melted bodies of people slowly dying was just was just very you know when flanagan spoke about this being the most like gory thing he ever has made he had definitely just shot this for Mm -hmm. sure yeah yeah this this whole sequence with perry in the acid shower is oh god really really one of the best things i've ever seen on tv like i love it so much i remember that feeling that i had when it ended and my jaw was on the floor i remember for the first three episodes of this show the way they ended and this one in particular was the one that hit me the hardest um because just visually it was spectacular you know you you really don't get to see that level of unbelievable craft when it comes to certain kills 
and this was one that was like beautiful in its execution like it, i almost needed to see it on a on a on the big screen because it was just yeah. outstanding how well choreographed the whole thing was and it is just yet another example of flanagan being without a doubt one of the best directors in the world um but to then have the storyline reasons for it to see kind of verna you know she her interacting like say her her being this like invisible hand who this one was great because she almost had no interaction um you know she at this point in the show i thought i thought it was going to be more like a final destination vibe where it was just like fucked up accidents because that's essentially what this was um whereas obviously later on she's way more directly involved she is just actively killing people because of, of what's going on um whereas at this point she was just like no i'm just here and i'm gonna like tell people to leave who don't deserve to die basically um mm-hmm. it was outstanding and yeah it was a show that will that will reference many times but the kills in particular and this kill is like god it's so good man this show is just spectacular um but it somehow doesn't win um but I, I would say it was probably well i don't know it's really hard because these were all very different because next up the runner-up um very different vibe um but is from a movie and a movie that we discussed in our in our top 10 the menu um the death of tyler um which again very very different very understated it's it's nothing to do with the visuals of this this is purely the emotion um this is all character all story i think the story of tyler and who he is as this kind of pathetic individual who has this obsession with chef um this obsession with wanting him to appreciate him and notice him um and as soon as chef cottons onto that the fact that he then uses that to mentally destroy tyler to the point that he makes him commit suicide is like one of the most powerful things I've seen in a film. It, it, it's really unbelievable that this was just in this film. You know, the menu has so many other things going on and mm. this is almost like a St. Maud level. Like this could be the story of, a, of yeah, an indie you film. That this is, this is not the finale. No, this is just the way a character dies. <laughs> and there are many character deaths. And of course, Nicholas Holt is like one of the leads, but it's not even like in the finale, really, I don't think. I think there's quite a lot of the movie still to go. So it's it's just outstanding. Like I remember I was gobsmacked because I didn't think he would go that early. I didn't think it would go that way. And when it happened, I couldn't believe how kind of merciless and nonchalant chef was he could not give a fuck that what he Mm. just did happened it was just like (laughs) yeah "Yeah, i've done this before and i'll do it again it was it was unbelievable it really was i think um it like you know it really feels like it should be the finale Mm. um, because it was the combination like you say this was just a death it was part of the sequence um yeah it, it really was spectacular um you know, and it brought together all of the characters, really. Anya's character, obviously Nicholas Holt, but then also the Ralph Fiennes kind of just dominating performance as well. It, it was fantastic. Um, but yeah, <clears throat> as soon as this happened, um, I was like, this is this is, this is is the winner of Death of the Year. <laughs> yeah, it had to be. Um, you know, we, we had a great return to form for Chucky this year. And... Um, there were a lot of good kills this season or this mm. part of a season that we got. Um, but this one in particular was the opening of um, 
the episode where we get a cameo from Keenan Thompson. Um, and we could we could pause the show and talk for a, a few hours about kind of Keenan Thompson and, and what kind of he means to our childhood and a lot of other <laughs> things. Um, but let's just say we love Keenan and Kale growing up. And so for him to be in this kind of show, it, it filled me with joy instantly. And then I was like, oh, fuck, Chucky's going to kill him. That's brilliant. Like, because if you're going to appear on Chucky, you want to get killed, right? You know, that was, because who was the <laughs> WWE? Who do we have? Um, yeah. Oh, God, I can't remember that. I want to say uh, one name, but it's not her name. It's someone else. No. I can't remember anyway, what her name is. But, you know, that was fantastic. And if you're going to appear on Chucky, you want to get killed. And I was like, oh, Keenan's going to get killed. It's going to be brilliant. But then they went so hard on his kill. And it was so violent and so over the top. And just when you think it's ended, it, it carries on. Um, and, and so, yeah, for me, you know, this encapsulates kind of what best death is. You know, something like Tyler, the emotional kind of play is fantastic. But for me, this was just this was just a fun, you know, this this person that, that you know, cameo in in the show. You're like, oh they're going to get it and then to get it in that way was just was truly spectacular yeah th this is exactly why we've always loved chucky um it is throwing in a fun cameo they don't overstay their welcome they they have funny bits that kind of interaction with him in the back seat and talking to him was great anyway and then like you say the fact that we both were like oh he's gonna get to kill keenan that's awesome but they go so much harder with it you know the level of prosthetics how long it goes on for um how much they show of it on a tv show i think it goes so much harder than i ever expected them to go and like i say it's it's consistently been the case with the franchise um to the point actually as a fun fact this is the first time chucky um has won best death however really? it, it has been a runner-up three times wow really um, that's crazy yeah so that's cult of chucky it's the child's play remake and chucky season one so that shows you that consistently across all forms chucky has always had exceptional kills and deaths which is obviously the case since the first film um and so to see it finally win and that was something that i only worked out after after the fact so it's not like we collectively was like oh let's finally give it to chucky no that's right um, i had no idea yeah like i looked up because i was like man that's so cool because i remember it was like the the glass falling on the person in cult of chucky i think it was the christmas lights in um in child's play remake and what was it in season one? Oh, it was the um it was junior killing him with the chucky doll slamming him down yeah. um that i really wanted to win yeah like it, there's there's so many amazing ones um so yeah it's it's so just deserved individually but also as a franchise i think it's it's so deserved this is awesome mm -hmm. so yeah you, you, and then, like i say it was a massive return to form and only four episodes but it left such an impact i just cannot wait for those those the rest of that season um but yeah moving on to our big heavy hitters um ones that we love to talk about we talk about performances a lot we talk about how in my opinion you know we are an, an all-time gold standard for performances across mm -hmm. the board i think it's ridiculous we're, we're we have such an embarrassment of riches and we talk about seeing rubbish things like the exorcist was a terrible film that had like amazing performances in it like that's just the norm now yeah um and so when you 
to then go from like okay so what is that next level what is that absolute elite here and again the fact that we get to talk about so many is great um so first up is best male performance um and i guess the runner-up i should talk about really is one that pains me that it's a runner-up um because I, I for me this is the most painful runner-up we've ever had doing the show um which is bruce greenwood in the fall of the house of usher um i think his performance throughout the whole show obviously the entire show is kind of has this wraparound this narrative arc um with him having this sit down conversation um it, it's mind-blowing how powerful that performance is how him talking about all of his children him talking about his early childhood how him first meeting the detective him working at the company like all of that stuff is it's so dialogue heavy and it's such a flanagan-esque thing you know like there's a lot of different things we talked about the um the acid shower and that's almost like a a precursor i hope for what will, will look like cinematic flanagan but i think a lot of times flanagan at his best particularly in midnight mass has felt more like you're just watching a great theater show um and that's what these bruce greenwood scenes remind me of is you're just watching unbelievable world-class acting in a very limited setting it's just a dude sitting in a chair and he somehow makes that the most charismatic and interesting thing I probably watched all year. Like, it was just outstanding. He he was the glue that kept together this unbelievable show that, that carries through multiple generations, multiple decades, multiple different lives and, and deaths. But he's the anchor to it all. And if they would have miscast that character the show would have been substantially worse even if they nailed everything else even if mark hamill was still great even if carla was still great even if all the kills were great and the writing and everything you needed to have the head of the family at the end of the timeline be as strong as it was and um it was almost like a reminder because bruce was obviously in gerald's game and the earlier kind of flanagan stuff but then like was he in hill house or midnight mass i can't remember yeah and he was in midnight he, mass was he who did, who did he play in Midnight Mass? I can't even remember. He was the dad. What of the of the of the drink driver? Yeah. Oh, okay. So it's like yeah. So that's so, I mean that speaks volumes that like I I can almost not even remember him in it. You know because there was mm. other, there was the big other names. You know like, we remember Kate in that of course and stuff and so and the. Well, I think um, it just the, shows uh, what an ensemble he's built at this point that yeah. like. You know, Flanagan has almost got like ten names. Yeah, can trade in for the lead role. They can be the lead, and then then he has the 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 audacity to just bring in like a Mark Hamill this year. Because you know, Mark Hamill could have easily made this list, and he almost Mm. did. Yeah, Um, he was pretty much fourth. (laughs) Yeah, but but you know, Bruce's performance was amazing, and I think um, it was the fact it needed to be so multifaceted. That it, that it was kind of, you know, he had these conversations in the room. He had the interactions with his sister. He had the interactions with his children, both alive and dead, and dealing with their deaths. And and so he just had so much to do, and, and he delivered on every part of it. It was fantastic. Um, and I think as well, his performance was strengthened by his... Um, the the um kind of co-actors that were that were playing the younger versions of him yeah because because they were all fantastic so then when we got back to bruce 
we got so much more knowledge of his character and it made it even better. So mm. it, it just was just this incredibly strong all round, you know, performance from him that, that was the sum of all the parts. That show's almost um, unfair as well, because I think at a certain yeah, point, it really is. We, we were like, we could have eight actors on each of these. Mm-hmm. And, and and at a certain point, it's like we pretty much got it down to one for both, because we were like, well, we can't just fill it <laughs> with these, because because of these other names we're about to discuss. Like, there's there's just, uh, we are lucky with, with the level of performance we get. But um, TV's good, right? Mm, um, very good. Yeah, next, next up, we have Aaron Paul. In his uh, Black Mirror episode, Beyond the Sea. Mm. Um, First reference to Black Mirror so far. Uh, let alone Beyond the Sea. Because, mm. yeah, th- this episode was just so incredible and was one that start, middle and end stuck with me. And then the ending just punched me in the face harder than, than ever. Um, but the thing with Aaron's performance in this was that he had to play so many different things in his own skin. So, you know, he was on the, the, the spaceship playing the character that he was meant to play. He was then on earth playing a synthetic robot of his character being embodied in that synthetic robot. Then, then he was playing someone else in that skin. So, you know, he was playing three different characters in this move in this um, episode um and the fact that this you know what i've just described and this is an episode of a tv show so you know we just spoke about bruce and the fact that how long was he on screen Mm. and it's not to downplay his performance but but aaron had to play these multiple characters in the in the skin of his his body um over the course of one episode of a tv show and it was fantastic. And just the little nuances that he did, you know, he wasn't, you know, when, when someone else was, was in his skin, it wasn't over the top, you know, it was, it was almost him, but there was just these tiny little nuances and these little different things that, that just really showed what a fantastic performance this was. Yeah, this was outstanding. Like, I think it, black mirror has always had these kind of strong performances um it's something that even in the world of tv that has elevated i think that's been consistent since season one of black mirror and continues to be consistent is they bring in big actors like they have now but they also bring in you know we got to see so many newcomers i mean daniel kaluuya was like in black mirror way before he was in films um so you get to see all these different actors but for aaron paul to do what he did um and alongside Josh Hartnett as well, who was excellent in the episode. I think I almost didn't know Aaron could do this. Like, mm. maybe that's my own lack of knowledge, but I, I'd almost, in my mind, and maybe that's just because Breaking Bad is so huge, that, like, I almost thought, well, he can just really play Jesse. And, like, it's a bit one note. And I, and yeah. I find myself being reductive now, where I'm like, that was so wrong because he's not rem- i didn't think about jesse pinkman once watching this episode like he he was a brand new character on screen that he was portraying and he was doing it in such a high emotional level that was it or yeah it did remind me of that kind of matthew mcconaughey and in interstellar just this like unbelievable heightened emotion working off you know nothing at times when, when you're on this like isolated spaceship it all has to be internal 
you don't get to react to physical things around you with a lot of these other especially the last performance which we'll get to which is a very kind of physical reacting to things in a real world aaron paul's is so much more internal how is he dealing with what he's just gone through mentally so it's all in his head and he has to portray that physically through the performance and it's it's outstanding because you feel every emotion it's not like overly done they're not shouting at the audience here's how this character feels at this time it's purely through that portrayal of emotion um so he was incredible like it's such a strong episode anyway beyond the sea like the entire concept and we kind of both fell in love with it at the time and and obviously his sparring partner josh is, is his is equal and is fantastic but like the 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 journey that Aaron has to go through, and like you say, that ending and being left with him, it was like Jesus Christ. I think that feeling is something that that pretty much only Black Mirror can achieve, and and it achieves it through these amazing performances, like what Aaron Paul did in this episode. Um, and I I want to see more of Aaron. I really do. I think it, it's now kind of reignited it for me. Where I'm like, I just want to see him in more shit. Um, maybe we yeah, can well, see that's... him in a TV show. That'd be another TV show. That'd be great. I think that's the thing that, like, you know, I wouldn't say I was a fan of his. Mm. I love Breaking Bad and I love Jesse, but I thought he was just that guy that played that role. So this was, it blew my mind that he had this level to him because now, yeah, whatever he's in, like, I'll be like, oh, okay, like, I'm interested because he's fantastic. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, there can only be one winner this year. They can um, be. Which, yeah, we spent um, a good portion of the start of this year talking about. I which spent, is I spent all year thinking about it. Yeah, I feel like we've only just now mentioned it now. Um, but yeah, obviously The Last of Us was huge um, at the start of this year. It's one of our favourite things ever. Um, and it was no surprise that um, Mr. Pedro Pascal wins this performance. Um, mm-hmm. Which again, I don't want to downplay and I'm, and I'm hoping that you'll be able to verbalise it better than I can right now because I don't want to, again, be reductive and be like, yeah, it's Pedro we already loved him he's playing a character that we already love therefore equals brilliant because i think that's not remotely the case i think what he had to do to make this character his own a character that we've loved and cherished for a decade um you know portrayed by the incredible troy baker and he i'm in a position with this show and the game now that i've never been in with anything else i've ever loved in that like I feel like I've got a foot in these two alternate universes where Mm. I get to see different actors portray the same characters in a different medium that I can equally love. And I think think that's I've never seen that that before. You know, with with Joel, we we love The Last of Us, but we also loved Troy's performance as Joel. Mm. And and so someone else taking that role felt like wrong. Mm. you know and and even when years, they were like well you can't you can't recast mm. joel and ellie that's what people kept saying for yeah, so long and, and, and when they announced the tv show i was like we could just make troy look like joel it's fine mm. and and when they didn't do that i was worried and then the second they announced pedro i was like oh okay they've just announced the guy that like I like the most in Hollywood right now mm. and and made me fall in love with a with a um a parent and child relationship where the child is an alien that doesn't speak so if he can do it for that 
could he be Joel? Absolutely, he could. And and so I felt, you know, when the when the when the casting got made, I felt comfortable that it was going to be good. But what he did blew my mind because he he gave Joel this different level of vulnerability. And in in the in the game, Joel was stubborn, and Joel didn't want to fall in love with Ellie. And and even when the relationship started to blossom, he just didn't want to. Whereas this wasn't a case of not wanting to. Joel was just so vulnerable from having his heart broken and was so scared to get back to that point again, but also very aware that he was going to. Mm-hmm. You know, he he gets there a lot quicker in the show. Um, I think the people around him see um, that as well with... Um... Is it Tess? She kind of says that to him. Like, she knows what's going to happen. You know, she knows the path that she's putting Joel on by by making him do this mission, which, again, is not in the game or is heavily implied, where it's like they they have built a world that they're happy with. But I think she knows, like, listen, I know as much as you're happy with us doing our side gigs and us being in a relationship, but you were put on this earth to be a father. And and that's what you need to do now. And and I think that's the thing that, like, I think the game becomes very much about parenthood and being a father, but almost, you know, like I say, Joel begrudgingly takes that on. Whereas this is just absolutely, yeah, Joel's purpose in life is to be a dad. And he lost that for so long. And the second that Ellie came along, he knew what was going to happen. And it upset him so much because he knew that, you know, being a parent is the most you know, rewarding and vulnerable and difficult thing in the world because your child has a cough and you get like this crippling anxiety, let alone when you're in a post-apocalyptic world and you've already lost your child and you're now looking after another kid in this world where everything wants to kill you. The <clears throat> the infected wants to kill you. The, the different fractions want to kill you. The fireflies want to kill you. The, the people that you don't even know around the corner, they want to kill you. And so to, to adopt this child in this environment is the the most kind of heartbreaking, difficult thing I could ever imagine. And I think Pedro just displayed that so well. And I think he did it in a way that wasn't, um, it, it wasn't over the top. And I think that's why that like he wasn't, vocal and strong he was subdued and vulnerable and it was just all in his face and i think it was the fact that with mandalorian he had to give a performance through a mask you know and he made us fall in love with two characters like i say when one of them is cg and he's wearing a mask so the fact that he managed to do that just show you know he was like well this is fucking easy Mm. like you you know and and he didn't need to go over the top because suddenly he had way more tools than he's used to and he already delivered prior so yeah he just absolutely smashed it and and there are multiple parts of the show that brought me to tears and multiple scenes of his that brought me to tears and and just um i i i thought it was you know we, we spoke about the show so much weekly um and it's i've got it sat there ever since it came out because i almost don't want to rewatch it because 
it makes me so happy knowing it sit there and how good it is that when I do watch it, I'm just going to have the time of my life going through it all again. Yeah, for me, I'm so happy as well that we have this custodian of this character mm. right now because for as much as people want to act like when you get certain adaptations or certain sequels, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, it doesn't take away from the original. It kind of does in certain aspects. It and it, for me, this is a video game that has obviously been so close to our hearts for so long. And whilst there are individual games, a few, but not many, that I like more, and there are potentially only a couple of stories that I might like more, there certainly is not a single character that I like as much as Joel and Ellie in any singular video game. And so I was so protective of both of them mm. um, and was worried because of the fact that they had in my opinion, the two best people in the world to play them in the video game world. And I just had no idea how we would ever get those people that would suit it for the TV world. Um, and for them to have done it with Pedro, I'm so thankful for, because uh, as I was saying earlier, it feels like I'm in an alternate universe at times where I get to experience a Joel played by Pedro on TV going forward that I love and I can't wait to see more of. And mm -hmm. similarly, in the video game world, we still have more to Joel to come from Troy Baker in the video game world. I think that's so equally exciting um, that those these two things are going to live parallel right now. Um, and that's that's so cool. And and there is some crossover there with the likes of Neil being involved in the creativity. And we know that... Ashley and Troy were obviously involved in the show in some capacity, especially Ashley was incredible. Um, but that's only what you see on screen, which I think is more of like a glorified cameo. I think what happens off screen is, is where the real work happens. They, they are, because, oh, yeah. because, you know, they talk about it a lot. Troy and Ashley care about these characters and Neil more than anyone else in the world. Um, and so they knew that they had to get the right people. Like they are not going to take this lightly. And there is a third character that is going to be added to this dynamic going forward. <laughs> that, that, that equally they're going to have to take as much care as they were this time. And that's the thing that fills me with right now. Um, you know, I'm not worried because they've done it once. Um, and it's the same people having to do that again. So I'm sure they'll be able to do it again, even though it's very difficult. Um, but they did it. They did the thing that I thought was impossible in terms of. I now equally love these two things in different mediums and different forms, which is great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, moving on to best female performance. And also, yeah, that was a complete shutout for TV on the, uh, the male performance. Yeah, I know. Crazy. Yeah. Incredible. Like those three, I mean, the last of us, black mirror and fall of house of Usher were just ridiculous. Um, but yeah, best female performance. Um, mm. Do you want to, do you want to um, give us our first runner up? Yeah. I mean, it's been a while. We should probably talk about TV. Um, <laughs> Yeah, another um, very difficult runner-up for Fall of House of Usher mm. is the incredible Carla Gugino, which, mm. um, you know, she's been a staple of Flanagan right since uh, Gerald's game. But, in the, you know, when she appeared in this show, she was just captivate, captivating. And every scene she was in, she stole the show. Um, in a show that, you know, we've already spoken about, has got about 10 standout performances. But the second, it, it didn't matter what was going on. Mm. If she was in shot, I was staring at her. And and it was intentional. That's exactly what Flanagan wanted. But it, it takes someone of Carla's screen presence, her beauty, her 
just all round dominating persona to to be able to take your attention like that when you've got all of these other powerhouses around you. Um, and you know she absolutely does it. The 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 scene in the bar where we get her way more vocal and way mm. more kind of loose and chatty than we mm. do in any other kind of scenes in the show is fantastic. We get to see a different side to her. Um, and then, yeah, seeing her just kind of just mop up, I guess, the, the entire Russia family was just absolutely fantastic. And, and in the kind of those final scenes, it was just it was just a joy to watch her kind of deliver because because at that point I was I was so confident in the performance that I could just enjoy it, which is so rare that, that you get to do that. And, 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 you know, I could absolutely do that with Carla in in those final scenes of of um house of usher so yeah it, it was a standout performance for the year for sure yeah i think you make a really good point in the in a show where it is just filled with so many incredible performances and characters they are able to create this almost aura around her with this character and that's exactly what the character calls for like it needs to feel special you know you have this big family you have also other cast of recurring characters but she's 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 weird she's a unique element she's the the unexplainable thing in this story she needs to be the crazy firework that's thrown in that's unexplainable and she creates that dynamic beautifully and obviously it's the way it's written and the way it's shot but you need to then have someone that can carry the mantle because that's a, a big you know shoes to fill to be like every time you're on screen you need to be captivating you need to be interesting and and, and very unpredictable you know you spend the vast majority of the tv show trying to work out what she even is what's her point in all of this what is she you know is she even anything that, that we can even describe so that all then comes from the performance as well to add to that to be like it needs to be dynamic and interesting every single time and then yeah just her like level of charm is is remarkable you can just hear her talk for days and it's it's perfect because it would just we would all we would all fall for the same scam the second she starts talking to you um yeah. it's just perfect and and also it's worth noting that this is the second time um carla has been a runner-up um with the first being 2017 in gerald's game um so yeah twice now a runner-up for carla which just shows her consistency of course across film mm -hmm. and television um but obviously in the flanagan verse um um, and then moving on to a rare film nomination um Whoa, film? yeah i, I guess yeah um little spoiler alert but this is the only uh performance in a film that will be on these two categories which again is mm -hmm. just shows you the level of uh quality for tv um but this is uh micah monroe in god is a bullet um again already touched upon it so i'll give a brief rundown but obviously i said it at the time she it is my favorite performance of hers um she's an unbelievable actress i think when we first saw her and it follows it was like oh this is a really cool exciting um new merging talent and the way she has then taken that ball and ran with it i think her performance in villains was so good um as well and then to bring us now to god is a bullet that her entire 
um relationship as this kind of captive person um then breaking free she she's just i think she can do it all she's so good at everything we've ever seen her in and i would love she again i don't want to lose her to tv as well but like she's someone that if we only get to see her at, at most for like 90 minutes at a time on screen and that's in a long ass film like god is a bullet so like i would love to see her for like six hours like what would you know what type of performance in a, in a hbo yeah what, yeah what would she be like in a in a quality flanagan or hbo level show like it would just be unbelievable but yeah she is uh so good and a worthy um runner-up on this list yeah, she was she was amazing, and I think as well, like the more removed we are from the movie, the movie made the top ten, and I think the movie made the top ten because of her performance mm. more more so than probably a lot of others in this performance category. You know, we've spoken about um, House of Usher, we spoke about Aaron Paul's performance, but he still needed a counterbody in that. Um, you know, Mika Monroe just got Bob. <laughs> you know? and and and, and he's getting bashed so much <laughs> but of course there's only got to be one winner mm. when it comes to uh performance and the last of us is gonna have to clean up again mm. um because it was bella ramsey in her portrayal of ellie um this one was was very different because when she was cast i was unsure um in the first episode i was unsure um and then the more i got to see her and her version of ellie the more i fell in love with it and then she delivered some parts that were just you know just blew my mind and and certain scenes in particular where they were line for line the same as the video game um brought such different emotions from bella's performance and and i think that's why she ended up you know, winning this category as well as um, Pedro for, for male performance, you know, very, very different reasons, but, but both, they just played off each other so well in the end. And it was so powerful to see them both on screen together. Yeah, I agree. For, for me, I think Ellie is harder to portray. Um, I think that, again, I didn't want to take it away from Pedro in the slightest, but I think we've seen him play similar more similar roles to joel in the past and it, and it was more of a you could see it before you had to see it um whereas i think with ellie it's so incredibly diverse in terms of how different she changes throughout the course of just the first game um and so therefore this first season and she really did a good job of again it, it felt like ellie but she did take it in different directions she was a lot more um kind of feral and a lot more um engaged in the violence um you know there are these moments where she is happy to be in this situation at times um and i think that's such an interesting take on ellie and where she's going to go um I thought she did a brilliant job of portraying this character up until this point to the to yeah just be so happy with her. I think going forward um as a as a kind of a side I'm very uh I want to be optimistic by if I'm being honest I am slightly worried um because I think what Bella did in this first season portraying Ellie up until this point has been brilliant but knowing what we know about Ellie going forward in part 2 right now I do struggle to see it. 
Um, and I'm hoping that that's a lack of imagination on my part. And I'm sure that they're, they're incredible, that they'll do slight ways of adapting it and making it work. So like, I'm sure this is not going to be an issue, but I am worried because Ellie from game one to game two is a different type of character. It's still Ellie, of course, but it is, she needs to do a lot of different things going forward. Um, Her hardest performances are yet to come. Yeah. It's not even close. Um, Yeah. Like parts. That was why. You know, when we discussed this, we were like, does she win Mm. because of that? But we cannot judge her on what she has not yet done. No, not in the slightest. And and we can only judge her on what she's done. And what she's done is phenomenal. Yeah. Um, But I do agree with you that her her hardest work is still yet to come for this character, for sure. Yeah, like we might get to a point after potentially two more seasons where we go oh it wasn't right you know again that sounds so harsh right now because of what we've seen has been so brilliant and she's absolutely worthy of this award but yeah that and that is purely just for someone who again has experienced both at the time and loves them both for different reasons which is what we are and and that is very much the minority of the audience of the last of us because it is this huge success um it's just something that we both consider um but uh, yeah we will have to see on that one um but yeah, The Last of Us winning both. That's very rare, actually. I'm trying, I think, Ooh. off the top of my head, the last time it was kind of both performances in the same thing was A Quiet Place. I was going to say, would it have been Quiet Place? Yeah, like I'm pretty sure it's never, even in the, and obviously it's more consistent with a TV show because you'd think with Flanagan, but I'm pretty sure we've had different winners in mm. different years, but <clears> never <throat> been the same. Um, but uh, And that's crazy that a movie got both of them as well. Like, that's, God, that's so rare. Yeah. Um, mm. But yeah, moving on to best concept, um, which again, we can kind of go through these first couple of runners up pretty quickly. Um, yeah, because yeah, the, the, the first runner up is the menu, which again, we've discussed, but I think that, yeah, that concept is really cool. And I think this is more a case of when it comes to best concept, there's certain other things like, um, knock at the cabin, for example, that like before I'd seen it, I'm like, that's an amazing concept. But then when you see the realization of the concept, it didn't work. Um, so this is equally both it's the concept, but then do you actually realize it? And I think that's the difference is that the menu could have been terrible and is somehow sensational. And that's why it deserves to be a runner up. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, like you say, it's it, it, it's such a cool idea, but it's also how it delivered on all of the different things that we spoke upon and, and really was a, just a neat package and, and a movie that I really do want to watch again, for sure. Mm. Um, yeah, next up on the list is Unwelcome, our number two movie of the year. Mm. Um, you know, already spoken about it a lot, but I think that the concept, so many different things about it, but just... I, I think as well, just the Britishness of the concept and how that's interwoven we, um, woven with the kind of Irish kind of folklore and all of it was just was just so well done and and just such a just such a joy to be able to watch this year for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, our winner um, is uh, an episode of Black Mirror, um, but not one we've discussed so far. Um, which is why the season was so strong, which is Lock Henry, um, which, yeah, we talked about yeah, it in our specials. Um, but, yeah, th- this concept, you know, a a guy making a documentary, this boring level documentary, it then spins into this um, murder mystery type documentary of, involving his family, which I think is an amazing concept anyway. But then when I think when you think about the the meta levels to this, um, 
particularly with this being put on Netflix, um, a company which I have been very critical of in recent years in terms of their in my opinion, glamorizing um, and serial killers and documentaries. And there is this, there's so many people that that's their favorite thing that I've spoken yeah. to where they're like, what do you watch? Oh, I just watch true crime documentaries. And I get it. Like it's so goddamn addictive, but like I really have a, a problem with it overall in terms of its portrayal. I don't think it's a necessarily a fair reflection when you give all the attention to a killer um at times you cast a very popular good-looking actor to play said killer um and you then gloss over the victims i i to me i i get very uncomfortable with it um and it's not only netflix either is is you know there's many different channels and, and companies that are that are um of a, a problem here i was gonna um, say we, we've just gone through it over here in england with a with a jimmy savile documentary yeah where i've i've had multiple people say to me you've got to watch it for the performance the performance is amazing and i'm like i do not want to see someone do an amazing version of the most villainous character that's ever lived in england mm. like i just don't want to see it um and I've not watched one second of it, and I'm sure he did an amazing job, but I do not want to see him do an amazing job as someone that I detest, you know? And and I think that's, um, you know, the, the problem with a lot of these shows, and I think that's what, you know, Locke Henry does a great job of um, pointing a finger at and kind of saying, you know, that this is this is getting a bit silly now and, and what, what it can actually do. For sure, and I think the way it concludes is what really... It was like amazing, yeah. but then that that last like five minutes was something that I still think about. That you know, getting the awards, getting the oh my god, isn't it so great that you put a spotlight on this? Wow, everyone in the world cared about this for five minutes before they then moved on to the next true crime dog, and then you're suddenly sat there in your room, your family has been destroyed, and you've got nothing left except for this award to show for it. It was like unbelievable. I I loved Lock Henry yeah. so much. I think Black Mirror um has done certain realizations of tech flawlessly this was like mm. and, and obviously this season was very different and this is this is the episode in particular obviously um the other one was really great but this is like a a thing that i wanted to see taken down that isn't necessarily tech related that they did so beautifully that's mm. it's something that i've been saying to people for the last probably three or four years that i wasn't able to perfectly articulate how i felt about it and now well, i say to people watch, yeah i would say watch lock henry that's how i feel about this trend <laughs> mm. like it's just the perfect way like charlie did the thing perfectly that i couldn't say because he's amazing at this um yeah. So yeah, worthy winner. Um, um, next up is a is a weird category because mm. this one over the years we've we've struggled with. Yeah, it's best sequel slash remake. Yeah, and there have been years where bad movies have got into this list mm. because we have not got three of them. <clears throat> yeah, it's a very stupid category. <laughs> it is, it is. But we will stick with the rules. <laughs> this is what we decided year one, and we will we will die on that hell. God damn it. Yep. Um. But this year, all three movies are in our top ten, which is mm. the first time that's ever happened. Got to be for I, this category. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's crazy. Like I said, I think I think some years there's been ones in our worst of that have made this top three <laughs> because there just hasn't been a third one. Um, but anyway, um, coming to our first runner-up, um, we've got Saw X. Um, you know, we've already spoken about this a lot, but the fact that we got a great Saw movie in 2023 was amazing. Mm. Um, the fact that 
the Saw movie being as good as what it is and Saw being a franchise that we love as much as we do, the fact that that's not won this category, um, you've already heard our top 10, so you know why. But if you didn't, then, then you know, most other years that wins this category for sure. Yeah, definitely. And the only slight um, clarification I'll give with this category is that it's it's basically best franchise film. So obviously mm. Sorex is technically a prequel, so it's fine. Um, and also it's not the best film that happens to be a franchise film. It's which film is the best at being yeah. either a prequel or a sequel or a remake. Um, and so that's why we talk about these three films and we'll talk about the winner. But yeah, Sorex is a great prequel um, and it adds to that flavor. I think if you're only a fan of those early films, you can watch just for the first three and watch Sorex and have a great time. Um, but yeah, next up um, is uh, VHS 85, um, which actually VHS has been a runner up the last three years in a row now. So since it's come back on Shudder, it's always made the list. It just has never got over the line and won. Um, but yeah, we talked about our top 10. I love VHS. I, it's, I, I have nostalgia for VHS, which is probably a weird way of putting it. Cause it's not like an eighties film, mm. but like VHS has always been in my life. It feels like. And so I've kind of, now we're in that second wave of films. I'm happy. And for as long as it continues, I will, I will continue to enjoy it. And it was just another great entry as we discussed earlier. Definitely. But this year there can only be one winner mm. and that is Scream six. Um, Obviously, our movie of the year, but also the best sequel, because not only is it a sequel to the preceding five films and a great sequel to those, it's a fantastic sequel to sort um, to Scream Five, mm. because it it makes it actively makes Scream Five better. Um, and I and I think you know we've spoken about it being the best movie of the year, but in terms of it being the best sequel, that is why because. Scream 5 has definitely gone up in my estimations now I've seen Scream 6. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's why it had to win this category for sure. Yeah, I completely agree. I think anytime I want a sequel, I want it to better the thing that it's adding to. And this absolutely does that. Scream 6 makes Scream 5 a better film. Therefore, it may, it deserves to win this category, let alone the fact that the overall movie is as good as it is. Um, yeah, it's all right. Also, Scream uh, goes from being a runner-up last year to winning this year. So that's uh, very nice as well. Um, and then, yeah, final two categories are best villain category. Um, which is always hilarious. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, a shout out. I love that we hate our own categories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is what happens when you were doing it for as long as we have. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, our first like, runner up. I'm like, we decided this for <laughs> I know, we're like the the jaded viewer disagreeing with us. It. Like, we picked this. Yeah. But this is what happens yeah. when we pick it a month ago. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. our opinions have changed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, our first runner-up on the best villain category. God, how did this not win? Um, is is the is the great John Carver um, in Thanksgiving? I was wondering that when I read this. Because <laughs> um, we talked about it at the time, you know, we want to see these new waves of the classic horror villains, and um, no, you know, I don't need that in all my films. I, you know, movies like Midsummer are just amazing horror films. Um, but I like to see, yeah, what what is a modern take on a, on Jason? And I think that's exactly what john carver is he is rooted in 80s aesthetic but with a modern twist he uses modern tech to kill people and to um to talk to them and to you know put them in misery and that's what we want our great villains to do so yeah i, I love john carver he was great yeah he really was he really was but he didn't win no he didn't win um 
Also a really great runner-up is uh, Chef Slowick um, from the menu. Mm. Obviously, Ralph Fiennes, um, you know, standout um, performance in a movie that that was in our top five. Um, he really was just, like, like you said, you know, seeing him as Voldemort, he was fantastic, but was in a, you know, had to reel it in whereas with this he could fully go and and just to see him fully go i'm like man i need ralph fine's cast as a villain more and more after seeing this movie Definitely. because i feel like i feel like this award is more ralph fine's as a villain than, than the <laughs> character chef because because he the chef could have been easily throw away if it was someone else yeah and the movie wouldn't have been as good but it still would have been good but the the only reason why chef is in our top three is because it was played by ralph fine's absolutely for sure yeah definitely it's like oh yeah ralph's in a horror film you know mm-hmm. <laughs> um but yeah our winner um is cecilia from saw x um which is extremely different to our two runners up um you know you're talking about a, a great performance and then also just like a new take on a horror icon um for me cecilia deserves best villain because she was without a doubt the most horrible person i saw in a film all year um you know this category is normally more fun and more in jest whereas i think this was taken more literally of like she is just a scumbag and it was i think saw as a franchise always has strong scumbags when it's at its best um you know we want good people as well or people that can potentially change but i think fundamentally i just like seeing pieces of shit get destroyed in traps um and that's awesome um and that was a glaring mistake and error to the said film that we discussed you know like cecilia getting a pretty abysmal trap um that she easily won and then that was it was easily my least favorite part of sorex and is definitely what knocked it down a peg or two for me um i'm hoping now that they've now established a villain in saw that i detest and i cannot wait to see hopefully hoffman track her down and, and kill her um so that's something exciting for the future and so yeah i have to give them credit for that because i don't think many horror franchising particularly saw like you know you know there are good villains but they are typically like oh this guy's a piece of shit he's a he's a drunk driver or or he sells drugs to kids she's like awful man like everything about her whether it was her ability to fr- immediately throw her friends and co-workers under the bus or the fact that she would just openly want to harm and kill a child like she was so cold-blooded and, and awful in every single way and they have to act upon this in a sequel they've set brilliant groundwork here and if they don't deliver i need to see her die in an incredible way in the next saw otherwise i'm going to retroactively take away this award that that's what that's what annoys me is that she was such a great villain and we needed her death mm. but but it still doesn't take away from what a good villain she was um but yeah coming to probably the strongest category we've ever had mm-hmm. um for any of our kind of subcategories at year end but mm. this is our best tv yeah. for 2023 mad um christ i mean i don't even know where to begin um but we've spoken about it a couple of times it's been runner up twice and it's now runner-up for a third time, um, and that's the fall of House of Usher. Um, Flanagan just doing Flanagan shit, and it it he he just he just continues to be a joke, really. Where he, you know, it, on paper this shouldn't work um, nearly as well as it does, but he is just a master of his art and. 
you know, he has this just ensemble of world-class actors and actresses. And then the fact that he adds to it with, with each iteration of his works that he does. Um, I don't know where his ceiling is because every time he does something that I think might be his best thing, mm. he then goes and does something like this, you know, <laughs> cause I, I thought midnight mass was, was his pinnacle. Yeah. Um, and now I don't know what my favorite thing is, whether it's house of usher or, or midnight mass, you know, when we reviewed it, I said, I think it's still midnight mass. I think still just personally how much it spoke to me, midnight mass, but there are so many parts of this that are just, um, so incredibly strong and just seeing the family kind of slowly succumb to this curse was just it it was such a macabre joy to see it unwind and with Carla at the helm and and yeah it, it was just such such a fantastic show yeah the show is just ridiculous like the, the more i think about it the more i love it mm. i already want to rewatch it and it wasn't even that long ago i think that like it might be my favorite thing i watched all year across everything um it's very close between a few things but i think i for me it was an original story like a lot of the other things i loved this year were either working in franchises that i love or with different adaptations whereas obviously i'm not familiar with what he's taken here and i know a lot of it is just original anyway um but yeah this was just a brand new story from flanagan that floored me um and yeah i don't i don't know if it's necessarily his best because i think the personal level of midnight mass is ridiculous but in terms of my own favorite it's easily my favorite it speaks to me the most um because i think it was his most fun um it has his best kills i think it has such a stunning finale and also it's not slow started i've said that before about his previous shows which i you know i have rewatched them and i stand by it that i do think the episode one in particular of his shows typically aren't the best um i couldn't believe how good episode one of this show was like again mm. i was like my jaw was dropped from the first episode so he somehow has able to land immediately and normally the payoff is obviously absolutely worth it but I don't know how he was able to get me to love it immediately. Um, and so, yeah, I I adore the show. It's incredible. Like, it's he is just a genius. He, he is one of the best. He might be the best guy. We have so many to choose from. We're so lucky in this era. And it's almost just like, yeah, today I feel like uh, I just want to watch The Lighthouse. Or today I want to feel like I just want to watch Us. Um, but pound for pound i don't know maybe flanagan might be the best like it's it's crazy um yeah he's out of this world yeah he's insane um but yeah another runner-up um again what we mentioned before but black mirror um season six obviously returning after a big long hiatus i think it was like three years um and actually but so black mirror has obviously heavily featured on this since we started the show um it previously won for season three which was obviously the first one on netflix the uh, san judipero oh, season um it was a runner-up for the season four which was also brilliant um and then season five completely missed out um which yeah looking back on this now i'm like yep all of that checks out for me um mm -hmm. because i do think this is on par with season four and it's not as good as season three um and it's definitely way better than season five and it was a return to form um it was the most different the show's ever been it had some zany wacky shit in it which again at the time i was there for um i have no idea i've rewatched black mirror probably more than any other tv show actually i definitely have because i rewatch it all the time and obviously because it is just these, like random episodes and it's way shorter mm. than tv shows Easy. so yeah i've seen like my favorites you know five six seven times and 
yeah i don't think you know like the werewolf one for example i'll probably rewatch it and i might not like it but i loved it the first time i was like in it for the ride i like correctly called this ridiculous twist which i was so happy with um demon 79 again i was on for the ride and then let alone the um again the first episode i'm not mentioning because i i didn't like the first episode so that is the reason why it's it's it gets knocked down whereas there was two very enjoyable episodes and then of course the two exceptional episodes that we've already mentioned with the particular lock henry is something that i'll always want to discuss so yeah very worthy runner-up black mirror but it was considerably behind usher and then our winner it was and i think but i think it was those two episodes really mm. where you know lock henry and, and beyond the sea were just so incredible um and the other episodes they had their moments but but yeah those two were, were out of this world but yeah, there there has to be only one winner this year. You know, early on, as soon as it started, and I've never watched a weekly TV show multiple times every week because I just could not get enough of it. I watched one episode like seven times. Yeah, I know. Um, I was like, how did you find the time for this? <laughs> I don't even know. I, don't, I, I genuinely don't know. But yeah, there, there, there has to be only one winner, and that is The Last of Us. Um, the best adaptation of a video game the best TV show of the year, the best adaptation of kind of any pre-existing thing, mm. almost, you know. Um, having Neil at the helm was was key to this being as good as what it was. Um, it absolutely would not have delivered on this level. You know, best TV show, best, act, best male actor, best female actor, um, is all due to the fact that he was there staring the ship the whole way. Um and and yeah, it, it was phenomenal. They they hit all of the major beats of the video game, but then they gave us diehard fans of the video game these different beats and these different moments, and both equally stay with me as much, which is the thing that's shocking, where I thought that the bits from the game would be the bits that leave me quicker because I've already experienced them, but they both stick with me equally um and yeah the, the show was just a joy from start to finish and yeah I, I absolutely can't wait to start it again yeah it was just an amazing adaptation like i think for us loving this story for so long and we've played it across multiple generations of playstation now um i i was wondering like am i gonna be sick of it like i've seen these scenes so often now and are they still going to have the impact and watching that first episode um with joel and his daughter it was like i couldn't believe that it worked again it, i i it put me back in in 2013 when i first played that game on the playstation 3 and felt all those emotions and i was like i can't believe a video game can do this can can have such a in-depth adult story with this level of performance um and so to then see that adapted on like a HBO elite level television show um, was was so it was so fulfilling as a fan that has seen certain things get dragged over to different mediums that just don't feel right. Um, and it's interesting whether or not we're going to get, you know, stuff like Metal Gear Solid and Bioshock that are, 
you know, considered the absolute best in video games along with The Last of Us. And are we going to see? Because, like, for example, I'm, I, I like Halo, but I'm not like a big Halo fan. But there was like a Halo TV show that was dreadful. And we've seen, obviously, plenty of other adaptations that just aren't even remotely close to to what the um the the source material is but i think last of us is special in the sense that it really is one of these i would consider it in like a a class with maybe two or three others you know you're talking kojima stories you're talking bioshock that's probably it in all of video games and i am i am talking with authority because i feel like i've played video games my whole life in terms of story-based video games i'm very familiar with what's out there in terms of narratives and and i've not seen anything that's on the level of those three um no and the last of us really was the the gold standard for sure yeah like what naughty dog did was was ridiculous and so for it 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 was so set up to fail and it's like yes Mm -hmm. you got great people in yes hbo consistently put out great tv um but I never expected it to be this good. Like I say, that that it was a match made in heaven getting Craig Mazin, who'd obviously um, worked on HBO shows before, for him to be the TV guy, for Neil to be the Last of Us guy, for them to be almost like they were made to write stuff together. It just feels like a perfect duo. Um, I was going to say the fact that they linked up so well, mm, you know, because they were the two best people to work together. Yeah. But then the fact that they became bros instantly just, just made it work, you know, to a level that no one could have anticipated yeah and i think like craig's tv brain when he asked neil certain questions about so why was it this way in the video game world and neil would explain why from a video game design perspective and then craig would then say well why would it make a lot more sense on the tv world and he would be and it would almost always be correct um Mm. and i love having that voice in that world now where i think it's going to enrich the video game world you know when we if we ever live to see part three um i would love to to have craig be be in neil's ear giving him advice because i think for the most part there was there was very rare misfires when it comes to what they directly changed whether it was small or big i think the the kind of female villain arc that they had for a couple of episodes is easily the biggest misfire and that in itself is a very small thing in the grand scheme of things but that was pretty much the only thing you know the the bill and frank episode three um obviously talked about massively but it can't be understated how how inconsequential and irrelevant that is in a video game and how it is arguably one of the best things of the tv show um and some people try and use that as a slight like wow isn't it hilarious that the best part of the tv show isn't even in the game and it's like you're so brain dead if that's if that's what you're trying to angle mm-hmm. this as they're enriching the original story by adding an, an even greater element to it so you're just completely missing the point and it would have been nice if they'd have had certain small things. What, like, I think hardcore fans like ourselves wanted um, a character called Ish to kind of yeah. be more filled out, and I think that was a layup. I don't know how Neil missed that personally, um, but it is what it is. Like, it, again, it's not perfect when when you're this involved, like we are, and you, for people that listen to those shows every week, you know <laughs> there is very few things we love as much as this. We couldn't be more happier about it. Yes, we're gonna find the tiniest smallest super fan things to complain about but my god is this show i mean i said it at the time it's my second favorite show ever so i can't really be more complimentary about it um it really was out of this world and yeah i just can't wait until we uh we get more of it hopefully one day um Mm -hmm. it would be nice to finally see all these tv shows come back um but so yeah that is it for our individual awards we have made it we've made it another year can you believe it well 
barely barely, <laughs> barely. <laughs> we fell over the line at the end like i feel like we really did everything's trying to stop us to you know your voice is gone and it, we're, we're just everything's like you cannot record this best of it should have been done three weeks ago but we've finally done it <laughs> my god we did it we did it somehow yes we did um but yeah that was the year that was 2023 um in a nutshell um but yeah going forward we had a big announcement that i teased at the start of the show um which uh yeah if you've listened for this long um and you're still with us you're probably not going to like this one so um unfortunately yeah, fan at this point. yeah you know if you were excited expecting an excitement announcement i didn't i didn't say that earlier i caught you um <laughs> Got you. Uh, get baited. Um, because, yeah, it's not a great one um, if you're a fan of the weekly shows. Because, yeah, we are um, going into the new year in 2024. There will no, be no more weekly shows covering new horror every single week, every single Wednesday. Um, obviously, we've been doing that grind. So this is uh, – we're just two months shy of our eight-year anniversary. Um, obviously, started right at the start of March uh, 2016, which is insane. That's that's so much longer than I ever could have imagined us doing it on the level that we did it for. Um, mm. It was nearly 400 it, it weeks. Went hard for a long while. Yeah, it, it's crazy. It's nearly 400 weeks um, that we've kind wow. of been doing this. Yeah, because with, this is show 374, so obviously it's mostly a weekly show. We take off a couple of shows, pretty much 90%, I'd say, of the last eight years we've had a show up. Um, mm. We've covered around 348 new horror films, um, let alone all of the other stuff we've covered. And, yeah, it's been insane, but it is a grind, you know, to watch new stuff every week, to then talk about it, to move on to the next thing. It's a lot, and... I think we both got to the point that we wanted to just talk about things we enjoy. Um, and it's a shame because, yeah, it's great when you find, as we've discussed in this episode, stuff like no one will save you. You know, going forward, I probably just won't watch a film like that. And that, that is a shame. Mm. Um, but there's only so many hours in the day and we have to focus on a lot of other things in our lives and we have to focus on the things that we know we're going to love. And so, yeah, going forward, there, like I said before, there are no more weekly shows covering new horror. Um, as it stands right now, we don't know what's next. We have nothing planned for at least a few months, um, at the very least. Um, however, we would like to still just talk about things we love. Um, as we mentioned, you know, we, next year has Flanagan, has Jordan Peele, has Robert Eggers. Um you know, we're going to get the last season of The Stranger Things, which we'll absolutely want, absolutely want to mm. talk about. Um, not next year. No, not next year. Um, but we will get The Last of Us at some point. The, those those two are probably both 2025. Um, but films-wise, looks pretty exciting next year. Um, mm -hmm. So we would like to talk about them, but that will be very sporadically. This won't be, um, you know, going live at a certain time, at a certain uh day of the week with a certain length with an intro talking about news we're not going to talk about news anymore unless that's the thing that we wanted to come and talk about you know it could be a case of hey mike flanagan's directing a nightmare on elm street let's talk about that um and that could just be a thing where we just hit record and, and shoot the shit for as long as we want but yeah there's no the the schedule is no more this is just a a uh, a nebulous thing now that exists whenever we want to use it isn't it um yeah, I think that's the thing. You know, if if you're if you're a fan of the show, then we hope you stay subscribed. Um, but we we can't promise when we'll be back. Um, it's a case of doing it when it feels right, doing it when the timing's there. You know, um, it's it's you know the fact that we've done it for almost eight years when we've got full time jobs and and lives and 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 other things that that get in the way. Um, 
you know, and the fact that we've done it weekly mm. and the fact that we've dedicated bank holiday weekends going to fright fests and 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 all different things like that um the amount of weekends where we go know. to you know we go to see a film at the yeah. weekend and then we record on a weekday so that's like two nights that is taken up with the with the podcast which is great yeah. um but again doing that for so long it's even if we yeah. just said oh yeah we'll just do it monthly or something but i do think we probably um i mean we've done it for a long time but i think we we grinded so hard for so long it's re- i can't believe it now when i look back on it and it's almost gone in the blink of an eye really like i see yeah, think... those early days but i god i can't believe it's been eight years of covering new horror every single week it's when, mad. when you, when you said like 400 weeks mm. i was like that can't be right and then i started <laughs> to do the math in my head i was like Fuck, that's how maths work yeah i'm like Jesus, that's that's obnoxious of course we're on we're on episode, you know, 300 of whatever. 374. Um, <laughs> and it's like, yeah, you know, that that does take its toll, apparently, on my voice more than anything. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, and, and I think that's why now it's a case of this can be something that we can enjoy when, when it feels right, you know. When a big movie comes out, we'll, we'll, we'll want to watch it. We're still going to watch cinema horror. We're still going to watch new horror but we don't have to be stuck with this kind of, mm. you know, um, I'm to, to, you know, this, this year has been very difficult to keep to the weekly slot. And it became very clear that, that next year we're not going to be able to do that. And, and um, with the struggle we've had this year. And so it's taken those chains off. And, you know, if, if we see three movies in three weeks and we have time to record three podcasts, we'll record three podcasts if we don't do a podcast for six months, we, we don't do a podcast for six months. And, 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 you know, that, that's going to be the agenda from, from now on, which, you know, it is a shame and, and, you know, it is probably going to be a shame for people that have listened to the last <laughs> two or three hours of what we've just spoken about, if you're still listening, but um, it feels right for us. And then and we hope that, you know, it, it, it continues to, to still be a thing with, within in its new format. Yeah, for sure. Like, I understand it if it is a shame, but, like, I really, for me personally, and I can only speak for that, is, like, I'm just so proud um, of what we've achieved for so long um, because it's really mind-blowing. Like, looking back on it now and seeing how much content we put out on a weekly basis for people. Um, And, again, it's like we did this all just for fun and i've loved it um we have not made a penny off the show um you know is actively a a minus on that um having to see films um and and but that's fine you know like we we've loved every second of it and it's been great to experience certain different things whether it's going to fright fest and getting to cover those films um certain partners for example shudder have been amazing for us on the podcast like they've always been the easiest people to work with they give us access to stuff um so we can always talk about it in a timely fashion and that's been great um but yeah i'm so, i'm so glad well, we don't have that kind of forced what, what you just said is like the perfect reason as to what's been the toughest about it is it starts to feel like a job when you feel like you have to put out a show every week when the when the content isn't there we don't have a show that is not based upon outside factors since day one we are we have to adhere to what is coming out what is the release schedule of certain films and that is why sometimes you'll get screwed because free horror films come out on the same day but they don't care about that you know but for us that sucks we would love a new interesting horror movie to cover every week but that's just not how this works no, and I think I think you know what you said there with you know definitely Shudder have been a 
huge help to us, you know, and especially in recent times mm. because they gave us access to, to things so early that actually helped our schedule because we knew, oh, okay, we've got three weeks to watch this movie now before we can talk about it. Mm. And and that's quite nice to not have that kind of rush that we sometimes have. Um, and certainly kind of getting to know people like Richard Brake on a personal level was, was fantastic. Um, but for me, like we started this podcast for a means for us to have a conversation with each other and just get to see movies together on a regular basis and talk to each other on a regular basis. And we never thought anyone would ever listen to this. <laughs> yeah. So the fact that like we got, when we got those first fan kind of interactions and um, people that have been talking to us for years, has just blown my mind. And to be honest with you, it's why the podcast has gone on as long as it has, because for a long time, you know, I think we've got to the point where it's like, oh, okay, well, we can see movies together and talk about them without the podcast. We do that. We go see Mission Impossible, etc. Um, but we almost felt like we've built this fan base and we don't want to leave this fan base. And I think that's the most difficult part to to leave behind now is is those people that have been listening for so long. Even the people that have listened to hundreds of episodes and never sent a message people that are listened to the to the last few or the people that have been vocal, just knowing that there's a community out there that listen is the difficult part to leave behind. Um, you know, but, but hopefully we're not fully leaving it behind and hopefully when an episode does go live, there will be a community still there to listen to it. Yeah, for sure. Like that, that's always the part that's just mind blown to me and it's really hard to even take in um just how many people have listened to us over the eight years um mm. because you either ha you know you always have a cycle of people dropping in people dropping out that's like any content or and then you also have that core people where you know there is multiple people you know that have listened for years getting mm. back to that first year and that ropey first podcast mm. to to then really getting into the swing of things in 2017 and it's just crazy to think that there's that many people like say that we, and we know certain people that um have been long-term listeners that have reached out and that's awesome that they've made themselves known in the community and we know them um through stuff like social media but then yeah there is as always with everything the silent majority um you know because i know from my own experience that's what i am with all the things i'm yeah, a fan I of absolutely am that as well. <laughs> there's literally a, a person that i've followed for probably 18 years now um in the gaming space and i've never interacted with them once and it's like it's crazy mm. to think that i've listened to that person talk for probably hundreds of thousands of hours at this point or it's certainly tens of thousands like it's it's crazy um but yeah that's what it is for people and I, and I think yeah that's where you feel a bit of guilt sometimes is like i think for the podcast this is absolutely the best decision and on a personal level for us it is um mm -hmm. i do feel that guilt because i know for so many people getting that new weekly thing to get you through your your commute or your job or however you listen to the podcast it's so great and because that's how what i use it for as well um and so that's the only thing that i'm like disappointed is that for a lot of people they won't get that now and they'll have to find that elsewhere um and i know how difficult that was for me that's the whole reason why we started this show is because we didn't we didn't know someone that was covering new horror to the extent that we wanted to cover it mm. um and i and i'm so proud of that back catalog when you look at it now that we've covered for this period of time you know yeah, like you say we went so hard for for the last nearly eight years yeah covering like 350 new horror films in that period of time it's just crazy like and, and again you there are 
certain other avenues, but they either switch out people or whatever. It's it's always us. Like it's mm-hmm. us too giving our thoughts on these things. That is that's crazy for that long. Um, so yeah, hopefully it all makes sense anyway. Um, the only other thing I did have in my notes was um, we haven't recorded the kill switch yet. Um, kill switch has not been recorded. No. This is true. So the uh, yeah the kill switch has not been engaged, but um, you know so that means that that does mean something for long term listeners. The kill switch has not been yeah. recorded. Um, but uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. As of right now, like I say, this is the first time since we've done the show where the second we stop recording, there is no plan for the next episode. That's like the easiest way to describe it. It will just be whenever. And until you see that movie title on the feed, you know that there are still more episodes to come. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you 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 know you know you need to see the because yeah, we will do that. I promise you. Like there will be a kill switch at some point if we feel the need to do so. But now is not the time. Yeah, if, we, just... if, we, if we get like a year down the line and we've not recorded yeah. the show, we're we're sitting down and doing some doing some Terminator too. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, if we've not done the show <laughs> in all of 2024, then yes, we will do the kill switch at the end of the year. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, crazy times for the show um and a mad one to end on really i'm so glad we got to talk about things like scream saw the last of us flanagan um eli roth some great things in there some of our favorite things so even though we you know we said it's a, a quiet year we still got to talk about plenty of people and franchises that we adore so uh that's Absolutely. the that's the great thing about the genre um but yeah any any part in words no, I think we've done it, man. I think we've done it. I think that's 2023, and uh, we'll we'll see what 2024 holds. It's going to be a, mm. a new a new journey for the podcast. It is indeed, but yeah, as always, whether it was just this one or any of the other 373 episodes, um, thanks for listening, as always, and we'll see you again, hopefully, very soon. See you later, everyone. I never could, how could I 